0: Gee, man, I'm gonna call Ticketmaster. I'm hopefully to get tickets to SummerSlam at Madison Square Garden because I'm so, so thrilled to see Hogan and Slaughter take on those three Iraqi losers. Okay, let's see the number one nine hundred nine oh nine 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 hundred. Rain, rain. Uh, hello, Ticketmaster. Oh hi! Uh, I was wondering uh, if you guys have any available tickets to uh, Madison Square Garden hosting SummerSlam.
1: Uh, SummerSlam isn't here this year.
0: You sure? I uh, I saw on my television that it's that you guys are hosting SummerSlam at Madison Square Garden. Uh, who's Who's the headliner? It's Hulk Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter against uh, Sergeant Slaughter. Oh, it's, uh, sorry, my bad. I'm I'm just so excited. It's Hulk Hogan Ultimate Warrior against Sergeant Slaughter. General Adnan and Colonel Mustafa. What? Who? What are you talking about? Don't you know who those people are? I want to see some Americans defeat some Iraqis, damn
1: it. I mean, we're back in Iraq, but I haven't heard of those guys in 20 years. 20
0: years? What year is this? It's 2014. 2014, but we're SummerSlam this year. I don't know! From the intersection of Sunset Boulevard and Bass Street, Minnesota, New Dallo, downloaded Main Event Status Radio with your host, Mr. Beverly Hills, 90210, and the
2: Dirty Todd Dirty.
0: Welcome, everybody, to Main Event Status Radio. Thank you guys for doling another episode, and I am the dirty dog Darcy. Joined this week again as usual with Mister Beverly Hills. How's it going, Beverly?
1: Oh, very good. How about you?
0: Can't complain. How's your summer been going?
1: Oh, it's too short. We, I only have uh, two weeks until school starts again for me. So yeah, you school. Boo.
0: <laughs> so what's one one what of the few things you think about when 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 summer rolls around?
1: Uh, warm weather, uh, not having to work, and
0: SummerSlam. That is what we're talking about today, is SummerSlam. And somebody that we wanted to get on for a while is the guy that we have on, for our, on to our three-man booth today, tonight, Jason Mann from Russell Spective. How's it going, Jason?
2: Uh, it's going great, uh, guys. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the program. Excited to uh, talk about some uh, SummerSlam.
0: So I was wondering for the listeners who, by chance, don't know you, and I don't know why they don't, can you tell us about yourself and your podcast?
2: Uh, sure. I, um... I'm a 35 year old uh, wrestling fan. I've been a fan since about uh, 1986. Uh, I was dormant for a few years in the 90s, but basically have been, you know, into it for uh, most of that time. And my podcast is called Wrestlespective, and it usually covers main events of uh, of pay per views. Uh, but you know, we kind of have some variety in that. We talk about different things as well. But usually, you'll get a review of a main event and just. Talk about, um, you know, kind of all the components of the feud, uh, break down the match, um, you know, just talk about anything that's interesting that's going on in the promotion at the time or anything interesting culturally or, you know, what have you. We try to um, just have fun and uh, keep it smart and keep it uh, relatively uh, positive. Not, not that we won't criticize something that's worth criticizing, but we try not to be the stereotypical. Uh, uh, smart wrestling fans that are you know, just super negative about almost everything.
0: How many SummerSlam podcasts have you guys done so far, in WrestleSpective?
2: Uh, let's see. I think um, I've done all of them through 2010, uh, which I, 2010 was the Nexus versus um,
0: WWE. Right, exactly.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, so I haven't done any of the of the, any of them since then, but we've done all of them. Um, before that, but uh, some of those shows uh, up until this project, I hadn't actually seen the entire show. I'd only seen the main event, so it was nice to go back and um, watch the entire shows. Uh, WWE Network definitely makes that uh, very easy and uh, very fun to do.
0: I might as well kind of jump jump into the podcast. I know this is for all of us. When you guys think about SummerSlam, you guys hear SummerSlam thrown around. What does SummerSlam mean to you guys? Jason Meswa, Jason oh, Meswa, go or whoever don't matter whoever wants to start out with with that question.
2: Sure, I'll go. Um well, you know, it's obviously the big uh WWE show of the summer. Um and it's kind of what usually the summer is uh building to um, you know, usually I think SummerSlam like there there have been more there haven't been that many SummerSlams that really aren't all that good. Every SummerSlam has at least like one like strong, worthwhile thing um, that's you know really good or really great or at least you know really interesting, um, which I think is is a. Um, a pay-per-view track record that most of the other, uh, WWE shows can't say, I mean, even WrestleMania, there's some stinkers and there's some boring ones. And, you know, even Rumble, usually the Rumble match is a guaranteed good one, but there's some Rumbles that, you know, are, are kind of flat. So I just, I think, uh, SummerSlam, uh, I, I, I think mostly of that of big and mostly successful wrestling shows.
1: Okay. I'll go for, so for me, I, I think SummerSlam is really interesting because um, they're willing to, I think the WWF is kind of willing to go out on a limb a little more in SummerSlam, Uh, being as it's not the, you know, the biggest, it isn't WrestleMania. You get to see kind of some different stuff. We saw a few tag team matches in the main event. We um, see guys that, uh, Maybe they don't see as quite bankable enough to be WrestleMania main eventers, but they're uh, still fun to watch. So I kind of like it because I'm kind of a guy that likes quirky stuff. So I like to see SummerSlam. It's a little off, uh, a little bit from WrestleMania. So it's always been one of my favorites.
0: And it was yeah, for me, it's been one of my personal favorites since it gives gives me an excuse to get get together with a few of my friends over the summer and. You know, with like with you Beverly, being in dealing with school and you know, all gives me excuse to get together with some of my school buddies before going back to school back when I was still in school. Uh are there any matches, memories, or moments that you guys that comes up to you guys' minds when you guys think about SummerSlam?
2: Uh you know, <clears throat> I would say um Definitely, uh, Bret Hart and Davey Boy Smith at uh, SummerSlam 92 is just a, um, you know, uh, a tremendous story, and a tremendous match, and and, and one of the great ones in WWE history, and I I think that one is definitely first. In fact, Bret Hart, I'm I'm sure we'll talk about it, but, you know, for the first decade of SummerSlam is really, like, the MVP of of that and just has some, you know, a, a lot of the the best moments of his career come at, uh, SummerSlam. Um, you know, I do, I think of also, um, you know, there's, there's quite a few, um, uh, like, um, like Hollywood was kind of saying, you know, th- I, I do think like the risk taking is interesting uh, that they're at WrestleMania or excuse me, at SummerSlam, you're not necessarily going to get the um, ending that you might expect at like at WrestleMania. You're you you know most of the time you're going to go in and expect the good guy to win. Where at SummerSlam, you're going to kind of get some variety that uh, in there and, and some different things that that work. So, um, you know, n- another thing would definitely be um, they've done a good job of you know kind of coordinating, uh, coronating, excuse me, some young guys with like. Um, Brock Lesnar beating The Rock at SummerSlam in 2002, uh, Randy Orton beating Benoit in 2004, um, you know that kind of thing of um, you know building some uh, CM Punk beating Jeff Hardy, as well of you know finding ways to use SummerSlam to um, coronate some new young stars, and it, another great one Daniel Bryan in 2013. Uh, Another example of um, of that, of course. It, of course, it, uh, uh, Daniel's uh, coordination didn't last very long there, but it worked out pretty well for him in the end.
1: Yeah, started out well, good first step, but then kind of since-
2: yeah, it went down and then yeah, it, right, exactly. Yeah, uh, I, I guess it worked out for him at WrestleMania, and then post WrestleMania hasn't been great. But hopefully, he gets better soon. I hope so too.
0: How about for you, Beverly? What do you oh. think about?
1: Uh, memories and stuff. Um, my biggest memories, I've, the first one that uh, stood out to me was exactly the same as Jason, was SummerSlam 92 in uh, England. Is just such a different um, venue perspective, everything, the fans, having Dave Boy Smith in the main event, just all of it is. that's the one, when you say SummerSlam, that's the first one, I think. Um, other ones... Um for some reason 91 really sticks out to me with the match made in heaven match made in hell uh the main event the tag team match Ultimate Warrior Hulk Hogan versus the Iraqis and then the the wedding um and then the other one is is it 99 with Ventura as yeah. the Yeah yeah 99 Yep, and that's that's the other one that I really remember. I remember buying that one at home. It was it's in Minnesota, so that has the um, kind of local tie-in there. It was a fun that triple threat match. So yeah,
0: yeah, for me, I guess besides what you guys talked about for matches and things, for me, be SummerSlam two thousand two because that would have been the first SummerSlam I went to one of my buddies' plays to watch solely on Shawn Michaels coming back for one more match that. I was with one of my buddies at his aunt's house, and when Shawn Michaels came out, I was singing along with his theme song, and I remember my buddy looking at his aunt, because his aunt was giving me a weird look, and my friend telling his aunt, you know, my buddy Eric here's a big Shawn Michaels fan, you know, don't don't mind him so much. So, you know, just think about uh, the non-sanctioned match that Shawn Michaels had with Triple H, and, you know, stick with 2002, the summer of Brock. Him winning his first WWE title from The Rock and launching on from there. Then also, I kind of think of the I don't know if you want to say really the burial of Goldberg in 2003 at the Elimination Chamber match, but Triple H, I guess, scoring the first victory on Goldberg when he was with the company during that year run he was with WWE. But I guess it'll kind of tie on with the next question I have for the three of us. What do you guys have a favorite SummerSlam or SummerSlams and why?
2: Um, well, I think, um, uh, 2013 is, uh, is pretty great just because it has like <clears throat> three pretty amazing matches. Um, uh, Daniel Bryan, John Cena, uh, Brock Lesnar CM Punk and, um, and Alberto del rio against christian are all just like really really top-notch fantastic almost must-see matches and uh there aren't too many wwe shows that have three matches uh, of that quality on the same show um the rest of the show isn't necessarily very strong but just because those three matches are just pretty incredible i'd have to uh put it up there i think um another show that maybe isn't uh that isn't necessarily technically great but i just is extraordinarily satisfying i think is the um the summer 91 show um i mean that has uh brett winning his first title um uh, big boss man beating the mountie in the jailhouse match and the famous you know the mountie being dragged into jail um virgil finally beating ted dibiase the lod um Winning the uh, the tag titles uh, for the first time against the Nasty Boys, so just some some really you know fun memorable stuff. Even if not other than Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect, even if none of the matches are really all that you know super, it's just a really um, you know just, just from a storyline perspective and a, and a fun perspective. It's a uh, it's a really standout show. I also I think uh, 2002 and 2005 just have are. Uh, shows that have both like strong um performances throughout and are satisfying on an emotional and storytelling um level.
1: Yeah, um some of the very similar ones 2002 is one of my favorites. Um 98 with the Rock and Triple H ladder match, that's one of my most favorite Matches and just one where you can see two stars just of the next five ten years right there. So that that's one of my favorites too. It's, I mean, when we talk about singular matches, that's one of my favorites. Um, and the early ones uh, are as well. Are just they just have a lot of fun on um, um, uh Eighty eight, the very first one. Um, ninety one as well. Those are yeah. Those are just just fun ones. Just ones that I like
0: to watch. So, you know, for me, I like watching ninety two in London just because seeing the sea human, the sea of people in London packed in the arena. You know that's always a fun experience, especially seeing. I think especially since that was one of the first pay per views WWE done that the WWE title wasn't uh, last match. You know, kind of like what was talked about with Beverly about 1998, you know, with the ladder match between The Rock and Triple H, how that was put both guys up on the next level for main event status. Then, you know, the Austin Undertaker match for the title was pretty awesome. Then kind of like I mentioned with oh, the 2002 Summer Slam that was kind of mentioned with Beverly. You know, also like the Kurt Angle for Jerry Mysterio match was great how that was mysterious. So i think first feud if i remember correctly in with the company and helped put him up there as a legit superstar with the company and also the jericho rick flair match i thought was well wasn't great since you know that was towards end of flair's career but i think that also how kind of helped put flair back on where on dot on spot where he needed to be for to be the nature boy in the WWE until he retire at WrestleMania 24. Though I also also kind of wanted to talk to you guys about you know with SummerSlam being considered the biggest the biggest event of the summer. How do you guys feel like if WWE would do things like fan access for SummerSlam? Do you think that would help elevate SummerSlam to be more on on par with WrestleMania?
2: Well, I don't they do some things now? Like, I don't know if it's quite exactly the same scale, but I know that, um, I, I, I feel like SummerSlam, like since it's been in Los Angeles, they've started doing some, um, some similar type, uh, things. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I, yeah, they do seem to have, uh, an actual fan access, uh, for it. Um, so, um, I I am I'm sure that's obviously a, a helpful thing. Um I, it, you know, it, it's a nice thing to have to add. But I, you know, it's really you know, there's only one WrestleMania and SummerSlam's going to be big to a certain level, but I don't think you know, um and, unless they made a decision to uh completely focus on summer, you know, which which would be a silly decision to make, but if they just decided, you know, what we're going to Make SummerSlam our number one show instead of WrestleMania, and completely shifted things around. Um, I don't think there's any way that you know it's just not going to be quite as big.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, and I I like what they're doing, and I think you have it down on your kind of notes later. But I'll just talk about it now. I like that you have WrestleMania as as a destination for people all around the world that changes every year. I like that they've settled into. Um, SummerSlam always being in L.A. I think I, you know, if people want to make a trip to L.A. Um, or it's just kind of that uh, destination maybe for people who can't always travel to the East Coast or to the Midwest, kind of for your Western-based fans, I think it's a good thing. And I, th- I think they've done a good job of promoting it kind of as that number two show of the year.
0: Yeah, because I don't think they have access for this year i know they've had access fan access i, was, I think last year maybe previous two years uh if i remember correctly hearing from dave milts or that i guess they weren't able to book any arenas or areas or whatever to be able to host fan access this year
2: i oh, gotcha but mm-hmm.
0: so. I, I guess you know just i think you know like what beverly said about la being the you know this place that SummerSlam's at, I do feel like, you know, if they they know that SummerSlams have been LA every year, try to find you know certain places that they could have fan access every year, for fans can plan that out, you know, a year in advance or whatever.
2: Yeah. And it's nice because obviously LA is a nice place to have a vacation too, so families can plan a vacation around it if you're a really big wrestling fan. And there's some, there's definitely some benefits to um, to having it there. And obviously from a, a, a their perspective, they're able to have you know a week where you know some Hollywood, you, you know, some people in Hollywood are paying attention to them, and they can do you know whatever business things they need to do that, that benefit that. So you know, that seems like that's a pretty good um, situation for them.
0: Right. well go ahead, I just said I agreed okay i uh, we might as well go do a breakdown of summer history, and I, I sent both you guys the my i guess general outline uh, how I have you know the years uh categories as you know kind of i feel like you know like time frame for wrestling history, so I know the first category i want or first few years I want to talk to you guys about is the early years from nineteen eighty eight to nineteen ninety and I'll see the first, just like the first WrestleMania, the first SummerSlam was held at Madison Square Garden. What Do you feel like SummerSlam being hosted there has any historical significance?
2: Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't really remember that it was until I watched the show. So, um, I, you know, they don't I don't think they play it up you no know, as much as they play up for WrestleMania. Uh, maybe they do, and I just don't remember. But um, you know, it's it's obviously a good wrestling venue, um, and um, it's a memorable show. But I, I can't say like that it <clears throat> that SummerSlam '88, the first SummerSlam being at MSG, necessarily stands out in the you know the vast history of great wrestling things that have happened there.
1: Right, I. I agree. I think it just make, made sense logistically. That's just where they were running their big shows at the time. I don't think it had much much more thought put into it than that.
0: Then uh, do, you, do you guys know any other venues that could have hosted the first SummerSlam? Or as a fan, what other venues would you guys like to see the first SummerSlam be hosted at?
2: Well, I mean, I'm sure they could have run it really wherever they wanted to, you know, the, where they were drawing money, which was, you know, pretty much ev- most of the United States, with <clears throat> they didn't, with the exception of the South and the Southwest and a few of the, you know, places where um, Crockett was doing well, um, or where, or whatever, or for whatever reason they just hadn't done well. But um, you know, it'd be interesting to, in retrospect, to see them have done like the. Um, the big event in 86 with Orndorff and Hogan, um, in Toronto, you know, did so well. Um, it would have been interesting to see, uh, the first SummerSlam be in a, in a stadium, I, I, I guess just for the novelty of it. But, um, other than that, I don't think that, um, I think that any arena, you know, would be about, would be relatively similar atmosphere. It would just obviously depend on, um, you know, depend on on the crowd, and that's something you know. Obviously, it's kind of unknowable.
1: Yeah, right. My first thought was that you know they could have gone the route of um, doing outdoor shows, doing stadium shows. It is the summer; you have a better um, chance to get nice weather. You don't have to worry about as much, you know, cold or whatever. I thought I think that would. Other other than that, yeah, like you said, Jason, any arena would really. Uh, be fine but I think if, if they wanted to go you know try to do a Shea Stadium show try to do like you said Toronto, Toronto Sky Dome one of those that might be a, a route to do
2: yeah there's probably a risk and I, I thought of that too but I think there's there's also maybe a risk of uh, just having it be exceptionally hot and um, sure. you know you have to always pretty much run um, colder weather cities to you know to guard against that, um, or at least now run um, arenas or you know uh, stadiums that have retractable roofs like yeah. Phoenix or Dallas or or what have you. Um, but um, yeah, in it, in I, I in guess. General- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, no, you, you go ahead.
1: I was going to say, just in general, sometimes baseball stadiums don't look the greatest on like TV. When yeah. The, um, when they have wrestling in them.
2: Yeah, and it's also, um, you know, you're you're not necessarily... Certainly WWE has had periods where it's not going to, um, you know, draw 60 or 70,000 people yeah. uh, to SummerSlam. I mean, there are definitely some years where they could do it if they have the right main event, but it's not necessarily going to automatically do that like WrestleMania almost always does, or, or I guess always does now. Yeah, sure.
0: Now I guess we might as well go into the first first SummerSlam, 1988, with Omega Bucks versus Omega Powers, I guess one of the first things I think about when I think about that main event is, or was, another Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant match. Do you guys feel the fans wanted to see another Hogan versus Andre match? Uh,
2: Well, I mean, yeah, I I think it was still um, I mean, it was at the end of that and they this is pretty much the the blow off to their um feud they may have had a few more house shows but i i don't think they had a match after 88 um you know so so this was really you know marking the end of that so i mean i I think there was still some desire for it but i think they had largely milked it for what it was worth um at that at that point i mean certainly but it was um you know i mean that that match had just such a um special aura around it that I think that, you know, it was still um you know, it was still important enough that people um were still interested in, in, in seeing him.
1: Yeah, I think it was they I don't know if you'd say they got lucky, but they did a really good job of rolling the, the end of the Hogan Andre stuff into what they were gonna do the next year with Hogan Savage. I think this is the perfect kind of transition finishing off the Hogan-Andre stuff and moving toward what they're going to do next the next year.
0: For sure, for sure. Cause I wanted to you know, kind of Beverly, you kind of mentioned kind of tied into why I want to ask next, next is how in fact this match tied in WrestleMania 3, WrestleMania 4, and WrestleMania 5 made events. Do you guys feel like WWE purposely booked Book that for this first Summerslam's main event.
2: Well, I mean, I mean clearly they had the idea of you know once Savage won the title, they had the idea of uh, having Hogan and Savage at, at WrestleMania Five. So that was clearly in the works at that point. I mean, I don't know if you know when they did the first Hogan Andre, they were thinking of, you know, August 1988, probably not, you know, uh, especially since at that point, Andre's, you know, health was in question and whether he'd be able to come back from his back surgery, um, you know, um, was definitely a question, but, um, you know, I, I, I assume that probably, um, given how rest given how this plays into the end of wrestlemania 4 that they probably had something similar to this planned um you know um assuming i am gonna i'm guessing at that point they you know must have had the idea of expanding pay-per-view in mind i mean they'd already done survivor series um they'd done a rumble but not a pay-per-view rumble yet so my guess is they probably you know knew they were going to do a summer pay-per-view and um this made natural sense as a main event coming after uh, WrestleMania Four.
1: Right. Yep.
0: Okay. Then we might as well go into 1989 with Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake versus Rennie Savage and Zeus. How you know this is the continuation of the Maker of powers exploding? Do you guys feel like adding Zeus from No Holds Barred? Add added any intrigue to this year's main event?
2: Uh, Yeah. I mean, um, you know, Zeus was um, limited to, to uh, put it nicely as a wrestler, but he, he was like, they did a really good job of building him up as somebody who was special and somebody who um, Hogan was vulnerable to. um, And he was good at conveying being menacing and his facial expressions and looking crazy and and psychotic um and you know having savage and sherry there just kind of amplified that so um yeah i mean I, I do think that um you know that was actually a few that was um very successful um you know and um you, you know had some legs um you know, which you wouldn't necessarily think just looking at Zeus and looking at a guy who was just very stiff in his movements in the ring and, you know, indefinitely couldn't do a whole lot. But, um, you know, I guess they got a bit lucky there um, uh, in retrospect. Um, and I will say that like that match, like um, Savage makes that match watchable. I mean, he really does a lot to just, um, you know, go all over the place and, you um, and have you know all his antics and just be um you know he makes it really fun and enjoyable for a match that has you know um several guys who I normally don't really enjoy watching
1: yeah I guess that's that's really interesting take and I think it must have something to do with you actually being able to watch it when it was happening because I just looking back I thought I was like, oh, you know, this just adding Zeus didn't give it enough. It didn't have legs, so it's really interesting to hear from you, actually being there because just from watching it, yeah, Zeus is extremely <laughs> limited. But uh, yeah, Macho Man is, well, he's Macho Man. He does a great job of uh, uh, kind of doing everything, and he makes it watchable because I, you know, also you know, Beefcake is he enough to really headline a pay per view? I don't know.
2: That kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, uh, um, you know, they they played up his relationship with Hogan, and um, they didn't really necessarily have a strong number two at that point. I mean, I guess it would would have been Warrior by um, default, but he was, of course, involved in the um, feud with with Rick Rude here, um, and they didn't really have any. But you know, like their are guys who they normally would have had for that spot, somebody like Junkyard Dog. Um, you know, he he had been gone for a while. You know. You know like they didn't really, they didn't really necessarily have like the strong number three or number four face they right. normally would have had. Uh, I don't see Jake Roberts on this show. He would have been like a guy who I would have thought like would have you know fit that role really well. But I mean, I do think part of the point of having Beefcake there is having like somebody that is um, not as strong as Hogan, who you need. Zeus to be able to beat up, and somebody who needs to be vulnerable during the match, because obviously, like, you want Hogan to, you, you want Hogan to sell, but maybe not, like, too much, you know, you, you, right. you kind of need, like, Hogan to have, like, obstacles to overcome, so having, like, a partner who is not necessarily a main event level guy might, you know, aid in that drama a little bit.
1: Yeah, like, if you if you did Hogan Warrior, that'd be kind of tough, because they're both... Uh, they both are so much better when they're in control. Yes, you know, just like as we see in '91, right? It worked so much better because uh, um, that was kind of the things that they were just going to kind of pinball around, uh, Slaughter and Mustafa and Adnan. Where in '89, you you kind of want Zeus to be able to control it for a while, and I don't know if that would have been as good.
0: Yeah, for sure. How uh, well, you guys did mention Warrior and Rude. From '89, we might as well jump into 1990 with those two main eventing main eventing SummerSlam in '90, the steel cage match for the WWF title. What are your guys' overall thoughts of of their feud?
2: Well, I am. Um, I like the '89 match a lot. Um, the uh, The '90 match is pretty good, but it's not nearly as substantial. Like the '89, it's funny because the '89 match reminds me a lot of like a modern WWE big match where there's a lot of, like, um, near falls and there's kicking out of big moves and stuff that you didn't really see a whole lot at the time. Um, You see a lot now. And that's definitely Warrior's first good performance on a big stage. And obviously, you know, Rude is um, probably, you know, the one who made that match great, but it's still, you know, Warrior kind of shows, like, oh, okay, you can get a good match out of him in the right situation, which I think was important for his career. Um, the 89 match is pretty good, too. Um, or, excuse me, the 90 match, the Steel Cage match is pretty good. Um, but it just sort of seems inevitable, I guess, that he's going to beat Rude. They uh, they did kind of try with Rude to um, kind of change his look a little bit, change his haircut, and, and, and kind of, they had some vignettes where they showed him, you know, being tougher and being you know more of a main eventer but i i guess that was just kind of a hard sell since we've already seen warrior beat rude before i mean granted the kind of the the thing was that rude had beaten warrior so you know maybe he had his number but um that probably would have worked better if warrior hadn't beat him in the previous SummerSlam. but um you know uh but but rude got a lot out of warrior and i i generally enjoyed um the matches that they had particularly you know the SummerSlam ones
1: yeah, and I think sometimes when we think about, you know, Warrior, um, you know, it's I think a lot of people have started to look more at Warrior since he passed away this year. But he was, I don't know what you would call it, but he was definitely, definitely capable of a good match if put with great wrestlers. And um, can't say that for everybody, so he at least could be. Uh, you know, helped along to a good match. And Rick Rude was one of those guys who could do that with them as you see with, you know, two, three um, matches that are really um, helped with that. And uh, so, yeah, I, as you said, their, their feud hurts cause it's kind of just flimsy footing. Um, because like you said, we've seen, we've seen Rude already beat, or, uh, or sorry, seen Warrior beat Rude pretty convincingly. So it's tough to say, we wanted him to get his win because he already has. So I think that's kind of always what's going to hurt him, hurt hurt that feud. Yeah.
0: yeah I know you kind of mentioned a little bit Beverly, but I feel like, you know, warrior can be carried to a great match, you know, matches with the rude matches, his match with Hogan at Ross media six, you know, I feel like in, in a way is warriors kind of like John Cena for modern days, how put with the right person. Cena can put on a great match. Or if he is motivated enough, I kind of want to get your guys' overall thoughts on the Warrior since he passed away a few months ago.
2: Um, well, I, one thing I will say in Warrior's favor is I think he delivered generally delivered well in um, in big match situations. You know, take that like as a contrast with a guy like Sid who um, did not generally perform well, like at WrestleManias and in big matches you know even though they're kind of thought of maybe as similar talent levels so i think warrior kind of had it um there um you know he was never necessarily my favorite wrestler but you know he um he obviously had good energy he obviously had a a connection with people a connection with fans and it was nice that he um got another moment to to be remembered um i mean um you know obviously right before he he died um uh, you know, I, hopefully, you know, that he and his family had, that was something that meant something to them, you know, um, before, and it seems as though that it did, um, before he died, but, um, you know, like, you know, he was, he was definitely limited, but, um, you know, he, he had a, um, he definitely had a presence and, um, and could be a lot of fun to watch sometimes.
1: Yeah. yeah, I, I kind of said what I think of him as a worker. It was, it was cool to um, just kind of, if you look at his time on top, I mean, it was, um, if he had better opponents, I think would be uh, better looked back on. And I don't mean better in the ring because obviously Root is, you know, one of the best, a really underrated worker, but... Um, just in general, I think he because as we talked about, he had a great match with savage hogan uh rude um but I think maybe his craziness outside of the ring kind of hampers what people think of him in general,
0: so we may as well go into the Next section of SummerSlam, the early to mid '90s, from 1991 uh, to oh, do you got anything more to add, Jason? Yeah, uh, well, just be,
2: just be, no, no problem. Just before you do, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about I, I think something that's important about these first three SummerSlams is just like <clears throat> the really good tag matches that are throughout the show. I mean, '88 has British Bulldogs and Rougeau's. It's really strong. Actually, surprisingly decent little Powers of Pain versus Volkoff and uh, Zukoff match. Um, with the very very short lived uh, Baron von Rashke being the manager of the Powers of Pain, and also uh, Demolition um, and uh, and the Heart Foundation, eighty nine has a really great uh, Brainbusters versus Heart Foundation match, and a really good uh, well, a couple uh, one really good six man with uh, Rick Martel and the Rougeos versus. Tito Santana and The Rockers, and then another kind of fun six-man with Axe uh, and Smash and Jim Duggan versus uh, Andre uh, Akeem and The Big Boss Man. And then 90 has a, just one of my favorite SummerSlam matches, a, um, a Heart Foundation versus Demolition, two out of three falls match where the Heart Foundation uh, win the uh, tag titles again. And um, I, I think one thing that I really, really enjoyed about my first run of wwe fandom which was you pretty much um 86 to excuse me to 91 in, in 92 um and just there was a they had a really great tag division of just a lot of like fun teams different characters that you know would work a variety of fun matches and um they didn't necessarily get always get the chance to stand out in WrestleManias but in Summer Slams they really you know all of those matches you kind of get the time that they would get to be good matches and some of them are really great and I think it's nice that um that's one thing I remember a lot about the um early uh Summer Slams is um just The showcase for those um you know for those great tag teams and as kind of the night you know we're getting into the 90s most of those teams are going to split up and the ones that replace them are just generally not quite as good so we're just going to kind of lose that um a little bit Um, one quick other thing when i'm when i talked about like strong up and down shows i forgot to mention 89 that's really one of the uh the best summer slams um you know um as far and uh, there's you know three or four really really um standout matches in that show that are really fun and enjoyable
1: yeah i love those uh those two six-man tags are awesome i thought martel especially really stood out was that was kind of fresh off his um heel turn wasn't it
2: yeah that he he and he and uh santana broke up at that wrestlemania so it was a right. few months five months later or so
1: yeah, I thought he was awesome in that one. I really liked that um, the Duggan, say what you want about Duggan, but he did a great job of just being crazy and for the fans in that uh, six-man tag with uh, Demolition. Um, yeah, I really liked those. And that Brain Buster Heart, Foundout, Heart Foundation Sorry, tag team match was um, just very, very, very good to watch uh, on a technical level.
0: Okay, then, yeah, we may also well go, yeah, jump into the early mid nineties from ninety one to ninety seven. And what's your guys' thoughts on Summersum going back to the garden in nineteen ninety
2: one? Well, it's a it's a great atmosphere for a show. Um I mean this is what actually like I kinda mentioned before, but you know, up and down it's one of the most satisfying um, WrestleManias and certainly the the crowd and venue has something to do with that.
1: Right. You gotta love the wedding. I love the wedding.
2: Yeah. Another thing that during the show they were um, they were advertising a Hogan uh, pay-per-view special that kind of recapped his career. Um, and they also were kind of talking about like um, they mentioned like Hogan beating the Iron Sheik at, um, you know, 84 to kick off Hulkamania. Although they, of course, the funny thing is that they don't actually mention that the Iron Sheik is also Colonel Mustafa. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, they, they kind of try to trick you on that. I don't think anyone was really fooled, but, um, and, um, you know, and, um, so there are like kind of references throughout that, uh, a couple references throughout. I think there's even a reference in commentary when, uh, Mustafa has Hogan in the camel clutch and then, um, of Piper saying, Oh, I remember this from 83, which I, I'm thinking he's referencing, um, uh, iron cheeks win over back when or he's yeah, cool. referencing or he's referencing eight early 84 with you know, hogan beating iron cheek you know for the title i'm not i'm not sure exactly which one but obviously either one could apply since they both involved uh camel clutches so um uh i i thought that i hadn't that hadn't occurred to me till you asked that question but that's kind of a nice um ref there are several references throughout that kind of um you know um reference the early moments of Hogan's career. And of course, you know, in Madison Square Garden.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And at at this time they didn't do that much kind of retrospective stuff. Um, They kind of would um, act like what was happening now was all you needed really to think about. So it's nice to, um, when they bring up that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Do you guys feel like they played off of the Gulf war? Well, during during the whole Hogan versus Slaughter stuff, I, uh,
2: I, no, um, of I, I I don't. I mean, um, I get the thinking behind it um, to an extent. Like I get like that. You're there's this real life thing. You can get heat with Slaughter. Being the Iraqi sympathizer and, and and giving him the belt, you, you know, um, I, I I you know they there was a big backlash to it. Yet they kept pressing on anyway. I mean, like I think if it would have ended at WrestleMania, I don't think it would have, which is around when the war won. So once the war was done, I think the heat was off it anyway. I think they should have moved on to something else. The, the fact that they had it going the entire summer and then your your blow-off match is slaughter who already is a guy who looks old and doesn't really look in shape um with two super guys who look super old and adnan and mustafa who don't look in shape you know pinball pinballing off of hogan and warrior um just is not necessarily something that really um uh feels exciting to me um yeah, so I, I, would not have, I would not have done it that way.
1: No, it's, and it, it's just, every, every step of the way, it's kind of the typical uh, ham-fistedness of uh, political or current events. Well, and as I say at current events, the term that yes. was oh. used at the, the, pa- the last pay-per-view is the same kind of, uh, just, I don't know, they should stay out of that kind of stuff because it never comes off well.
2: Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I don't necessarily mind them talking about it, and I, and I didn't think the thing with Lana was really that big of a deal, but um, but I um, yeah, they I mean they they just went like way too far in trying to exploit the war to make money, I guess. Um, and they were lucky that the war was ended up in a sense they were lucky that the war ended up quick and not you know and, and not having many american casualties and and, and mm-hmm. you know because because that really could have been something that made them look terrible if it had gone in a um in a different way yeah. um i I, you know, I was talking on twitter the other day and uh i came up with the idea of a hogan warrior facing like a heel turned uh, legion of doom or Hogan and Warrior facing Undertaker and Jake Roberts, which you know would kind of make sense um, because Warrior, because Jake Roberts and um, and Undertaker were in a feud with Warrior, and Undertaker was about to be in a feud with Hogan. So,
0: well, I kind of talk about Jake. Uh, I don't know if you guys listen to Talk Is Jerk with Chris Jericho, but I know a few weeks back on his July 18th episode, he had DDP and Jake the Snake on. And Jake the Snake mentioned that he was supposed to have a feud with Ultimate Warrior after '91 SummerSlam. I was wondering how do you guys how do you guys book that feud if Warrior would have stayed with the company? Well,
1: well they started it, right? They started with I think uh, so. Yeah. I think they showed the a Jake. few angles. Yeah, with the Jake kind of training the uh, Warrior, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, that was li- like like the turn was literally the last thing that they did before, um, <clears throat> you know, and then Warrior basically le- left right afterwards. So, um, I mean, I I think it could have been um, successful. I mean, they were not doing well, finan- like their business was not very strong at this point, and I don't necessarily think there was like a whole lot that could have like turned it around, but it, it could have been a short term boost. Um, you know i um i think what we ended up with with um with jake roberts and savage was so much better than than warrior and jake would have been that obviously i'm glad that it ended up um being the way that it that it did but um you know, I, I guess it would have. You know, I'm sure that Roberts would have made it interesting. I don't know how the matches would have been because Roberts isn't really. The, I I like him as a wrestler, but I don't think he's the type of guy who is going to necessarily um, pull something that interesting out of Ultimate Warrior. I could be wrong about that, but um, so I um, like I said. I mean, just the, the Jake Roberts Randy Savage feud is so compelling and so um, just um, tremendous that I um, you know I, I I'm glad that we got that instead.
1: Yeah, what we what we have is so good that we don't even really want to speculate what could have been. Okay, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So we might also well jump into '92 and at Wembley Stadium, and we kind of talked a little bit about Brett versus Bulldogs with the IC title and and all that. But I guess do you, do you guys have any more thoughts of that being the last match at Summer Sun '92?
2: What well, made sense given that it was London and that it was, um, you, you know, the, the idea, the, the, the big thing on the show was him, you know, yeah. um, winning the title and trying to do so with Brett. And he's obviously married to um, to Brett's sister, Diana. Um, you know, they're not really, like, they haven't yet gone to the well and gotten, like, Stu and Helen involved and things like like. Stu and Helen are there for Bret SummerSlam win the year before uh, the IC title win, but they're not like characters yet that are known to WWE fans. This is kind of like the first Hart family drama where there's a you know there's an outside character who becomes somebody who's yeah. known, and then as Brett becomes an important character, there's going to be you know more of that. Of course with Owen and you know eventually the rest of the family getting involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's kind of a cool initial thing, but I, I think this was the right positioning given where they were um but this is you know um the warrior savage match here is really strong too um i also really like the Shawn michaels and rick martell you can't punch each other in the face uh, match between the two heels there's just some great comedy there and some really um some really enjoyable stuff that's a lot of fun so so this is a good show uh, outside of the um you know fantastic top two matches
1: yeah, and Sherry is awesome in the Oh yeah. in that match too. She's looking back at these Summer Slams just over the last couple of weeks. I've realized how underrated and just awesome Sherry was. Oh, yeah. I never I never appreciated it when I I first watched it mainly because I only saw her really with harlem heat and um w c w but she in every appearance in all of these early ebra rumble erp summerslams she was fantastic so that that's one thing um and uh, to answer your question about um the placement of British Bulldog and Bret Hart, I think they had to go on last just because I think if you put that match anywhere else, the crowd would just be dead for the rest of it because that's that was just the best ending you could put there um, is British Bulldog going winning the title in, in London.
0: Yeah, I guess my next question regarding to the SummerSlam was, I guess, Jason, you'd be more apropos to be able to answer this question that I don't know the episode that we that Troy and I recorded last week was the August 8th 19 or, or, or I guess it wasn't necessarily this pay-per-view but it was a August 8th 1994 Raw where like it's a couple weeks before that year that year's SummerSlam and the SummerSlam was held on Raw on Monday night and I know the same with ninety two SummerSlam was well taped on a Saturday over in London, then aired in the States on a Monday. Do you know why pay-per-views were on Mondays back then?
2: Uh, no, honestly, I don't. Um, I, I mean, I know that they, um, they, uh, you know, they had different um, times, like, like, you know, for Survivor Series kind of went from being Thanksgiving Day to Thanksgiving evening to Thanksgiving Eve, um, but I, I thought at this point most of them were Sunday. I'm surprised that um, I'm surprised it was Monday. It may have taken um, I don't know I don't know if they were if most of them were on Mondays or maybe this was a exception because um, the um, I, I don't know how long it would have taken them to tape it and then you know and, and then do the post production necessary. I mean, I guess it, I don't think it would have taken that long since of course they were. Used to doing live production, so um, so that's interesting. No, I don't really know. Um, I don't really know why that would be. That surprises me. I, mean, I knew it was taped and aired later, but yeah, on a Monday is a bit of a surprise.
0: Okay, then we may also jump into nineteen ninety three, where y- Yokozuna defended the WWF title against Lux Luger. I guess, what is your guys' thoughts on Yokozuna being WWF champion, especially winning the title? I think like six months after debuting in the company as Yokozuna.
2: well I, you know he was something different um and they probably needed something different then you know they needed somebody um a, a new character and he was obviously you know he had that tremendous size and presence um i'm not a huge fan of him as a performer um he could do good stuff and was athletic and you know especially before he just gained exceptionally more amount of weight um but i just i kind of feel like his performances um often didn't kind of showcase what he could do. Um, but, you know, I he, he was probably the right choice for the time because there weren't necessarily a lot of good choices um, <clears throat> just because they were limited in their talent. Um, they'd already kind of tried Brett and he his didn't necessarily go well. Um, and they were obviously, you know, with Yokozuna, they were trying to build to a, you know, trying to have him be champion for a, a while and then build to a conquering babyface to beat him um you know luger was kind of the obvious guy but you know they were obviously they did they clearly kind of had a plan it, it, or it seems clear that they had kind of a plan to rebuild brett as well a little bit so um so maybe they had him in mind you know at least as a candidate for that if it didn't work out with luger and certainly that's obviously what ended up happening but um <clears throat> so yeah i'm not the biggest fan of yokozuna but i completely understand why they went with him just because you know Given the choices they had,
1: yeah, I like I like when they kind of switch up what the champion looks like. Um, it does; it isn't always just kind of plug in the next guy that is kind of in the Hogan mold. I, I like I like Yokozuna. Um, obviously, he's going to be limited on talking because he doesn't talk, <laughs> and um, and then like his his weight just kind of got out of control after a while, but for a bit. I really liked uh, watching Yoko Zun. I I thought he did a good job conveying uh, what they wanted to through um, squash matches, too,
0: which is important. You know, with Lux Luger being the other half of that year's main event for SummerSlam, what are your guys' thoughts on Lux Luger's run in the WWF, and could Luger been a successful WWF champion?
2: Um... I don't know, maybe. Um, I, I get, it kind of depends on opponents and how he was booked. I don't necessarily think the all-American thing just fit him that well. Um, and I generally think Luger was a better heel than a face. Um, although it wasn't like the narcissist like necessarily took off. So um, I, um, I I don't really... I, I, I think there's probably a way it could have happened. But I, I also think that they were just kind of... In the down cycle, and it was going to take a while to get out of that, no matter what they did. I mean you know they probably could have done things that better to, get to for it to happen quicker, but um, there are you know um, when things fall it's it takes it 's going to take a while to get them to build up, even if you do the right things
1: yeah, I agree with you on Luger um, and being a bad guy, I think it seems as if every all powers that be want him to be the hero and he just doesn't come across. I don't know. What do you think it is? Does he just, for me, it's like he has kind of this like inherent kind of smugness and that prevents him from being heroic in my eyes, I guess. What do you guys think?
0: I guess, uh, Luger, I guess, you know, just being the WWF really didn't feel right that, um, I know I always heard that McMahon wanted Luger to be the next Hulk Hogan, and if I remember correctly, J.C. might be, or either, both of you guys might be able to correct me if I'm if I'm wrong to this, but I believe Luger was originally slated to win the WWF title at WrestleMania 10, and in ways it would have been kind of cool to see Luger as champion even through, if it was through SummerSlam, just to see how well he would have done, but I feel like Luger's more of a NWA, WCW guy. And, you know, with the smuckness, too, I, kinda, I can kind of see that, that Luger just kind of rubs, rubs me off the wrong way with different feuds that he has. And just in the WWF, I don't feel like he, that was really the best fit for him.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, one thing, I think this is kind of a sneaky good show. Um, there's a, the Steiners and Heavenly Brothers uh, match, or excuse me, Heavenly Bodies matches, really strong. I love the whole um, stuff with uh, Bret Hart um, first having to go through with Jerry Lawler uh, pretending that he um, has a uh, a busted leg and got into a car accident on the way there and can't wrestle. So then he sends Doink out and then Bret beats Doink and then Lawler attacks Bret and then Bret beats Lawler and then Hold on to the sharpshooter for too long, and then they end up re- reversing the decision. Um, I mean, that that whole thing is just like tremendous. Um, you know, Memphis style um, wrestling and booking—that's um, uh, that's one of the um, best unheralded things that Brett um, uh, um, ever did, and, and Lawler certainly in WWE. Uh, and then I really like the Smoking Gun Tatanka against uh, Bam Bam and the Head Shrinkers match. That's a, that's a really fun um, six-man. So this kind of harkens back to the strong um, tag matches of the uh, early Summer slimes. The one match that's really disappointing here is uh, Shawn Michaels and Mr. Perfect. That was kind of expected to be like a really great like, wrestling match. And they were kind of you know touting it as a classic even before it happened. And then mm-hmm. it just like, fell really flat
1: yeah that i i wonder if that's a victim of high expectations it, it had a build from all the way from king of the ring it um was going that direction yeah it didn't live up didn't live up to those expectations at all
2: yeah and obviously perfect at the point was you know, having the health having the back issues and mm-hmm. so maybe it was a physical issue or maybe they just didn't have strong chemistry or you know or just maybe just didn't happen for whatever reason but um but overall but there's a lot of fun stuff on that SummerSlam which is kind of thought of as not a maybe a very good SummerSlam and it is really funny at the end for Luger to win by count out and then for them to basically like have have this big celebration like he just won the title and like he just conquered this guy I mean it was just like that probably didn't really do Luger any favors to like treat this count out win that way you know like that probably didn't like that probably was just like a um, maybe a turnoff for some fans. I don't know.
1: That's one of the weirdest moments that I can think of in all the times that I all the time that I've watched wrestling is that they celebrate this count-out victory with you know streamers and everything, and just like he won the title at WrestleMania. It's it's weird, so strange. I
0: guess we might as well go into 1994 with a double main event of brought Hart, Face, and Owen Hart for the WWF title inside the Steel Cage, and The Undertaker versus The Undertaker. I guess <laughs> I wanted your guys' 94. I guess the only standout match I really enjoyed was the Hart versus Hart match. I guess rest of the card I really wasn't too fond of. I guess what are your guys' thoughts on the double main event and just 94 SummerSlam in general.
2: Well, um, I think Undertaker versus Undertaker is something that sounds like a lot better, at least feud-wise, on paper than it actually ended up being. Um, they did a pretty good job of at least making them seem as identical as possible. Um, the match, obviously, is not good. I mean, uh, it, in fact, it's, it's really bad. Um, the You know, it was, they were right to end it when they did. Um, But kind of the cool... I I did think the idea of, like, um, DiBiase bringing this other Undertaker in and and them looking enough alike for me for me to, like, not understand exactly how they were doing it. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, The Owen Hart... The Owen and Brett um, cage match, I think, it really does hold up. There are some um, people who um, are kind of... I don't know who, who... there's definitely an undercurrent of fans who think it's quite overrated, and um, but I think it's a strong steel cage match. It's definitely like very much a bloodless WWF like climbing the steel cage type match, rather than like a blood feud where slamming each other in the cage and trying to create blood. You know, it, it's much more of a technical steel cage match than a bloody brawl one, and that does seem a little weird in the context of this essentially being Brett getting his final revenge on Owen, but I still think it's interesting and it's very good athletically and and it's a satisfying match. The only other thing that I think is kind of worth mentioning on this show is um, Razor Ramon and Diesel. Like, I think that's a nice, uh, that's a fun match. That's kind of a fun payoff to their, to uh, their feud over the, you know, since WrestleMania or because, Diesel won the title from Razor right after the latter match at um, WrestleMania 10. Walter Payton being out there is pretty cool as well. So I don't remember the Bull and Nakano all under Blaze match, but I'm, I'm guessing that probably would be pretty enjoyable as well. But other than that, yeah, um, not, not a great show. I mean, there's enough good stuff where it's watchable, but there's definitely, you know, some... Um, I mean, I don't know. I guess the Tonka sells out. That's that's that was kind of an interesting moment uh, there. That was that that story was kind of an interesting story as well. But uh, but maybe in the match, not so much.
1: Right. Um, yeah we t- we t- talked about uh, Eric. Did we talk about the one the raw right before this? Or I a couple- think it was
0: uh, I think two or three weeks before this. Cause I remember noting. Well, I think yeah we covered. Uh, I think August 8th, so I think that would have been two or three weeks before. Okay. This summer, some I do also remember that, yeah, this year, some 94 was also on a Monday night, which mm-hmm. I found, found to be odd.
1: Okay. So, yeah, so we saw a little bit of the lead up. Um, I, first, that, that ledger Blaze Bolacano match, I thought was awesome. I thought that was, uh, um, about as good as you can get in eight minutes. And, um, those those two women did a great job with what they had on this show um the yeah the undertaker undertaker thing that that's one of those things kind of like jason mentioned where it's um sounds good on paper and is fun leading up and then you go oh crap we have to have a match with this and uh they couldn't really carry it out um as you would want and yeah, yeah. Um,
2: I, I, I'm ahead. also I'm also not sure the comedy of having Leslie Nielsen and George Kennedy play their Naked Gun roles trying to find the Undertaker is necessarily the best decision like I actually I'm a really big fan of Naked Gun so I actually kind of enjoy it like on a certain level but maybe it's sort of like uh, detracts a little bit from that from the story you're trying to tell of Undertaker making his big epic comeback too you know maybe it undermines the seriousness of that a little bit I don't know I mean I guess the Undertaker's silly you know and just enough where it doesn't maybe doesn't make that much of a difference but maybe it wasn't the best decision
1: yeah but it's it's one of those things i've i've heard before it's not that i'm coming up with this that the undertaker stuff kind of has to take place in its own world where um you can believe that there's an undead mortician who can rise out of the casket when he's put in there and come back and bringing in Leslie Nielsen even as his uh, um character from the Naked Gun I think kind of pulls it out of that world and into our world a little too
2: much okay i
1: don't uh, that's just how i kind of saw it i don't know um
0: well, i'm i'm just happy that paul bear's undertaker Defeated the evil Undertaker, oh yes. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um and I i liked that bret Hart Owen Hart feud and I thought Owen Hart did a a really good job in that whole that whole stretch.
2: Yeah, and that obviously made his career. Um you know, and um yeah, that that's a really great I mean the whole thing's just a great feud and um and this was a nice fitting. I, they, they did have another... They had a raw match like a month later that was kind of like Owen's last chance. And of course, Owen's involved in the, um, you know, in the early stages of the backwind feud as well. So they're not quite done, but this was the, you know, their, this was certainly their last big match.
0: Mm-hmm. So we might as well go into uh, 1995 with uh, Razor versus Shawn, ladder match two for the Intercontinental title, and Diesel versus Mabel for the WWF title. Do you, I guess, do you guys have any, I feel like those two matches weren't, well, the latter match, I don't feel like lived up to the rest the Minute 10 ladder match, and I feel like the, I think Mabel was, was moved up too fast too soon to face Diesel, and I feel like those two matches, I yeah, just didn't live up to expectations. I guess, what are your guys' thoughts on those two matches and other matches on the card for 95.
2: Um. Yeah. I Diesel versus Mabel isn't very good, and and Mabel was. I, I agree that he was probably pushed a little bit too quickly. I mean, he was kind of went. He went very very quickly from being like you know dancing rapper to um you know serious um. Uh, you know, um, serious monster. And that transition was kind of awkward. And he was, people forget, forget but he was super young at the time. Like he was like 23 or, mm-hmm, or, or right so. There, yep. Yeah. So, you know, that he, he didn't have a whole lot of experience yet. And that, that just kind of showed there. Plus, you know, I, I don't mind Kevin Nash so much, you know, in, in certain performances. Um, but you know, he's not really not skilled enough to, to, you know, get a good match out of Mabel. Nash is another one of those guys who, the right opponent can get a good match out of Nash, but Nash isn't probably going to get a a, a very good match out of a limited opponent. So I think they tried, but it just wasn't... I don't think Diesel was cast very well at this point, point. I don't think Mabel was cast very well, and that was kind of the problem. Um, I actually really like the latter match, though. I think it's just as good as the first one, um, and, and just as exciting. Um, so that one I, um... That one I love. Uh, The only thing that really I well, I guess there's two things on the show that I think are pretty interesting are uh, Hakushi and the One Two Three Kid. Is a fun, um, you know, uh, almost a cruiserweight style match, essentially. Um, And Hakushi was, you know, kind of a cool character at the um, at the time. I mean, basically like a wrestling ghost, you know, you know, kind of thing. But you know, just as far as um, having that. I mean, I guess it's a very stereotypical um character, but it was, you know, um in the vein of the uh, in the vein of the great mood of that kind of the stereotypical Japanese um character with the handspring elbow and, and some of that offense. But you know, it was cool at the time and he was he was a good wrestler and had some good matches with uh one, two, three kid and, and Brett as well. So that was fun. And the other one was Barry Horowitz um getting his uh Big win against Skip. You know, I, I like that story about Barry. You know, being the guy who had never won a match for so long, and then him finally, you know, getting a uh, getting a big win. And and you know, and, and he he was kind of over as a character for a time. So I thought that was kind of a uh, a neat thing to have. And you know, and, and he, you know, it had a limited shelf life, but he performed pretty well. You know, while it lasted.
1: Yeah, I think this one. If you take out. Kind of a few key matches. This could be one of the most underrated Summerslams. Uh, uh, looking back, I you you have almost the same points as I had that uh, Mabel is yeah too too fresh too too young to be in the position that he was in. But Diesel did no favors for him uh, in helping him along. Um, I really, really liked the Hakushi 1-2-3 kid match. That was a, a lot of fun. Um, and I even, again, two years in a row, I really liked the Bertha Faye Elunger um, Blaze match too. And I thought uh, Bertha Faye did a good job both being an intimidating kind of monster heel while also portraying her character well too. And uh, I she wasn't around super long, but I feel like she could be... Uh, she could have had a good arc as someone who was just kind of, um, uh, kind of persecuted for how she looked and she always kind of acted nice, but people hated her anyway. I don't know. So. Yeah.
2: I mean, she was, the, the idea is that she's this overweight hillbilly who, um, and she has, you know, or she is dating Harvey men and, um. But she's intimidating physically and able to compete with the uh, women. So yeah, it was kind of a joke character but at the same time. Yeah, I do think there were actually were some interesting things you maybe could have done with her. Um, you know, if they had been more interested in character depth at the time. You know, but they were pretty close to shelving the women's division. Um, yeah, in, in a few months anyway. So um, yeah, this is the first bad, or at least like not good. Um, Bret Hart SummerSlam match against Isaac Yankum, the future mm-hmm. Kane. Um, that one, um, it wasn't so strong, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, a- and, um, yeah, also Undertaker versus Kama in a casket match. Uh, that's another one that is, uh, is, is not so good, but, uh, we sort of continuing the ever, pre- yeah, both of those guys didn't have very good 95s as far as just like, um, Feuds went like Undertaker spent the whole year feuding with various um, million dollar corporation members who were trying to steal his urn, and <laughs> um, and Brett uh, was just fighting, you know, random mid carders the entire year, you know, and, and kind of re um, redid his feud with Lawler, which yeah. was not nearly as good the second time around.
1: Yeah, they're, well, they're kind of paralleled in that they're both fighting like minions of a boss character.
2: Right, exactly.
1: Like, yeah. And that's uh it's tough because in both cases well, I guess more in the Undertaker case than the Bret Hart case is that you aren't going to see Undertaker versus Ted DiBiase. And that is what holds it back, right? I mean, like he can beat all of his people, but if you never have the the two meet, that's a uh, difficulty there.
2: Yeah, I mean, the only thing you probably do is like a Ted DiBiase lose, leaves town match, you know, with Undertaker beating somebody else. But you're right. Yeah, that's definitely, you know, that definitely limits what you can do. And and just the fact that Under, Ted DiBiase at that point was not a great, you know, the the, the million-dollar man heyday was long gone, and he was kind of an iffy character, and, um, and the guys who Undertaker feuded with were mostly uninspiring. So, either they were guys who were past their prime or guys who weren't all that good. So... Mm-hmm.
0: I guess going back to the Bertha Faye discussion, Beverly, I know you, would, you know this more, but Be- uh, Bertha Faye had such an influence on me in women's wrestling that I named my first car after Bertha Faye. <laughs> <laughs> it was a 1989 Buick Century, and I thought it was apropos since it's pretty much a big boat to name it after Bertha Faye. I named, it Ber- named my car Bertha.
2: Oh, poor Bertha Faye. Oh, there you go.
0: And I oftentimes, whenever I I lived about an hour and a half away from college, and I often would go back home to visit, like on a weekend or a holiday, and go back. One of the first songs I would often play was Persa, Bertha Bertha Fay's theme song.
2: <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because Bertha was actually like, like if. Like the census has a website where you can go and like look at like what the most popular birth uh, baby names were by decade um and like if you go back like to like the even from like definitely like in the 1880s and 1890s and even maybe like in the early part of the 20th century like birth is like number one or at least top five like baby name for a girl for um you know most of that time it's just funny how like that name is now like you know I guess big Bertha wherever that came from just kind of ruined the entire thing but
0: so I guess we might mu- so yeah. I guess we might as go to 1996 where uh A couple of main matches were The Undertaker versus Mankind in a boiler room brawl, and Shawn Michaels defending the WWF Championship against Vader. I guess one of my questions I wanted to ask you guys about was, should Vader win the—or should Vader Vader have won the WWF title that night?
2: I mean, he could have. Um... You know, I guess they were building to Sean losing to Sid, or maybe that was a later decision. I don't know. So, um, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot that went into Vader not really just doing that well in WWE. And, um, like, I I don't think that the fact that Vader didn't win was, like, a huge missed opportunity or anything. Um, So, I guess, like he could have won and they could have done something interesting with it, but the decision that they made, I think was basically fine.
1: Sure. I, I think I would have liked to see Vader at some point in his run win the title, but, uh, I don't think the history books, you know, would have been entirely rewritten if we would have gotten that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Vader was past his prime.
1: Oh, I don't know about
0: that. Well, I guess to the 93 feuds, 93-94 feud that they had with Flair, I don't know how well 96 Vader would have clicked with WWF.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's more of a fit issue, and I think like Vader, um, uh, I I don't, I'm don't. just kind of think like maybe he, the, the style wasn't for him, because once he left and went to Japan, he had another really great few years of um, of things uh, in Japan. So you know, I, I guess if Vader was like left unleashed, he could perform real well. But if he was in you know a pretty strict controlled environment, um, it it just wasn't um, you know it, it wasn't the same for him. And he, he could perform. I mean, I still he still had good matches and stuff, and he was still you know a pretty effective character for a while. But yeah, I mean, it, it definitely like seeing 96 vader wasn't the same as seeing 9293 vader but i think that's more a case of environment than it is a case of age or losing athleticism or anything like that
1: right like vader almost you you almost have to just be like okay go beat the crap out of the person that you're facing and be okay with that, and I don't know if Sean was okay with that, and I don't know if Vince was okay with that,
2: so yeah, I mean, they do have a pretty physical match. I mean, I actually like the match um mm-hmm. I but but yeah it's it's not it, it, you're right it's not like you know you would you would it like you could see Sean and Vader having something similar to some of the sting Vader matches, and it's not you know in, in that i I'm also I'm not sure like I get what they were going for with you know. Sean losing by count out, and then I think losing by DQ, and then Cornet keep wanting the, the match to be restarted, and then Michaels, you know, winning in the end. Like I think, like I get the idea of like it sort of protects Vader a little bit, but maybe that's just a little bit, I don't know, maybe just a little bit too silly, you know, and it, it, it maybe just a little bit too different from what you would normally see in a WWE environment, you know.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, do you guys have any more thoughts about the 96 SummerSlam?
2: Well, there's the Boiler Room Brawl. I mean, that's obviously um, a pretty memorable match. Um, And and I think the Mankind feud, I've talked about this on podcasts before, but I think the Mankind feud was an important step in The Undertaker's career and and how he wrestled and kind of his character because he kind of went from being like, the old undertaker to evolving and much more into the, the, the more modern one, um, just in terms of how he wrestled and the type of matches that he had. And it wasn't, you know, as reliant on the origins of the, you know, undead character that, that it had been before. Um, it was more realistic and, um, and those matches obviously were, you know, were, were really good. Um, now, this isn't this isn't where Bear turns on Undertaker. He he'd already done that, right? He does that at King of the Ring. Is that is that right?
0: I believe so. Yes.
2: Okay, so he was already on on that side. But I mean, you know, the fact that Mankind beat him repeatedly um, in the feud also was just it, it certainly helped Mankind as well. I mean, I think that was you know um, interesting stuff. Uh, you know, in the fact that they did so much of it pre taped and all that. I mean, I'm not sure, like you know. I'm not sure to want to watch it every day or anything, but I I, I think it's kind of good. I, there isn't really much on the show that's all that interesting, other than that the Owen Hart Savio Vega match is, is is pretty good, the opener. But um, beyond that, you know, it's not uh, it's not one of the stronger SummerSlams.
0: Okay, then we might as well go into a 1997 SummerSlam where uh, the Undertaker lost the WWF title to Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin and Owen Hart had an intercontinental title match and I wanted to get your guys' thoughts about I guess Austin and the Austin Owen Hart situation. How do you guys feel Austin's career would have been different if his neck wasn't broken in that match?
2: I mean you know obviously he would have lasted longer. Um, it would have been interesting to see um how his style changed. Um because his style changed a whole lot in 98 um, because of the limitations on his body and he became um, much more heavily of a brawler. And I do actually think that like that was maybe – that may have had some um, – some of what drove his – success. I mean – like I think, like fans picked up on that and, and liked that style. And I think that I mean that wasn't necessarily the most important element or even close to it, but that I think was an important element for like um, WWE for the time. It certainly changed the style of the promotion. That there was a lot more of that style of match. That kind of became the predominant style of the promotion. So I think like without that is o- is Austin kind of a more well rounded technical wrestler does he keep relying on the brawling so much and how does that change wwf at the time i think those are kind of interesting questions to wonder i do think that to a certain extent it may have been beneficial to austin's legacy to retire when he did because austin didn't really have much of a period in his career where like it kind of felt like he held on too long where someone like Hogan or Flair, you know, even some of the great wrestling legends of all time, they're, they have some of that and Austin didn't. But at the same time, obviously, you would want, you know, I mean, you know, given the choice, you would want Austin to have his health and to have been able to have a long career. And, he, and if he'd have a long career, maybe he would have, you know, kept it up and, you know, um, done interesting stuff with cena and you know and and the stars of you know and of the current era you know it's there's so many um components that um that that go into it that's kind of hard to summarize quickly but i do think there would have been that could have led to a massive amount of you know uh, of sea change i mean i think what's interesting is like what what happens to WWF if um, Austin's injury is more serious and he can't ever wrestle again. I mean, that's that that would, you know, be just, yeah. you know, I, mean, I don't even know if WWF is able to survive that. I mean, that, that's, I think, definitely an open question.
1: Right. I'm, I'm of a couple different minds on this, too. And, yeah, your points are nearly similar to mine. It would have been interesting to see the matches that could have happened, um, you know, more with... With Brett maybe uh you know with Sean, if he could have you know not had the neck injury, but just like you said the the brawling was became part of his character, and I think that was it would be really it wouldn't be as congruent if he had kind of this personality of a brawler and then he went out and wrestled the technical match but yeah i think I think yeah the the thing that. Uh, I guess we missed out on some of those matches. Would have liked to see, uh, you know, some better Brock Lesnar or some Brock Lesnar matches, um, you know, some of those the stars of this age, I guess. So, yeah.
0: yeah I know Stone Cold did mentioned on one of his podcasts that if his neck wasn't broken and his body would have kept up, he would have liked to retire a few years ago, like right around wrestling 28. Do, you know, I guess I agree with you, Jason, on if Stone Cold... If Stone Cold's body didn't break down when it did, Stone Cold probably would have held on a little bit too long, like like so, like Hogan did or Flair did. But I was wondering if let's say if Stone Cold did wrestle through WrestleMania 28, even if it was kind of like a slow started to of slow down, kind of like what Chris Jericho currently does with wrestling career. I guess what are some feuds you would have liked Stone Cold to have between WrestleMania 19 and WrestleMania 28?
2: Well, one versus CM Punk, obviously, that's one that's you know people were talking about for a long time, and that would have been you know given the contrast of those characters, that would have been interesting. Um, You know, we we mentioned uh, Cena and Orton. Um, uh, You know, I'm sure there are others. There's nobody that I that necessarily stands out as being you know any particularly um, better than um, you know that I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, you could always redo, you know, rock or triple H or undertaker, or you know, whoever. And, and I'm sure those would have been interesting and, and good, but I, I kind of, you know, like I, I, I'm happy that we got what we got in the nineties and don't necessarily need to see new incarnations of those matches.
0: Do you guys have any uh, other thoughts on the rest of the card from 97?
2: Um, I really like the Bret Hart Undertaker match. Um, and the Shawn Michaels special referee stuff is all just really great. Um, and, uh, I, uh, I think it's probably Undertaker's best match at the, uh, you know, up to that time. Um, it's very physical. It's very, um, and it, and it really like everything that happens in it really caps off all the stories that have kind of been told since Bret's heel turn, you know, him winning the title. Um, and um you know the end of the undertaker's reign um leads in nicely to the undertaker shawn michael's feud um so it's just a really um it's a really well performed match i kind of you know forgotten in the um in the list of Bret hart classics but i think it's a really you know a really strong performance from them both
1: I I also enjoyed the the cage match between um, Mankind and uh, Triple H on that. Yes. You.
2: Yep. That's a very good one as well. I forgot to mention that.
1: Yeah, that was uh, I thought that was a, a really good match in it. Um, you know, it kind of shows what uh, Triple H would be capable of uh, going forward in the next few years. I
2: think yeah, so. yeah, that was that. In retrospect, that feud with Foley was probably pretty important for him. Too, yeah, and that it kind of his development um, there, which you know you can say that about a lot of people who who feud with with Foley, which I think says a lot about him. Yes, um, I also like Ken Shamrock freaking out after the DQ loss to Dave Boy Smith and destroying all of the uh, referees. That was kind of a cool, and just the way the crowd reacts to it, and just um, kind of the the birth of him kind of being the um you know, the guy who loses his temper and can snap at any point. Like I think that got too cartoonish, but Yeah. I, I think camera I think Shamrock is someone who really did have some potential to be something special and for whatever reason they never quite found the right things for him to do or he never quite connected. Um maybe it's just one of those things where he tried too hard to be a pro wrestler and if he'd been himself a little bit more, maybe that would have worked better. But um but regardless, I do think that was kind of a cool moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that started off well. It, it, as you said, it got pretty silly uh, toward the end of it. But,
0: yeah. yeah, okay. I guess we might as go into uh, the next section of years the attitude era from 1998 to 2001. I know uh, Summerson went back to Medicine Square Garden for the third time in 1998. Do you guys feel like it really mattered or matters that? SummerSlam went back to Madison Square Garden for the third time in 98?
2: I mean, it was a good environment. Um, I mean, and also, like, this was one of the best built SummerSlams as far as just kind of everything. I mean, they were really hitting, and also, this was, you know, 98 was the the turnaround year where, you know, things got, you know, exciting again, the kickoff of the Attitude Era and so forth. Uh, you know, the Austin-Undertaker match was really, you know, was a, a, they made it into a really special thing. Um, and uh, even though Austin, you know, accidentally um, bumps his head into Undertaker early in the match and is sort of groggy, I, it's still, I think, a pretty effective match. Um, you guys mentioned the Triple H and The Rock ladder match, which is also really good. One that's kind of forgotten about that I think is really good is the Ken Shamrock Owen Hart Lions Den match. Um, like that's a really kind of a neat like cage brawl type thing that um, was also built pretty strongly and was you know a um, a, a strong win for um, for Shamrock.
0: Do you guys feel like the 1998 Ladder ma- Intercontinental Title Ladder Match was better than the 95
1: one? Uh I would say so. I like I like this one better. But yeah. I th- I I think I don't think there's a wrong answer to that.
0: No, no, yeah, cuz I know I feel like I enjoyed the Triple H Rock Ladder Match a lot better than the Ladder Match between Razor and Shawn from 95. But that's yeah, like you said there's no no wrong answer, just one's personal preference.
2: Yeah, I think I might like the Summerslam. The, the, of course, they're both Summerslam. I think I might like the '95 match a little bit more, but I—it's honestly been quite a while since I've seen either one, so I'd have to rewatch them again. Um, but uh, I, you know, the 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 Triple H uh, Rock one definitely made a. A big difference in their careers especially for the rock at the time just because um you know but at the end of that people were really into him and were ready to kind of see him move up it, it took a little bit it took longer for triple h uh to connect on that level but um you know it was it was quite a um you know uh it, it was quite a big thing and it and and sean razor while that was a you know a really fun match that didn't have any kind you know that didn't have that kind of that same level of thing. I mean Sean was kind of already there. They were just kind of biding their time until they um, you know, had the right story for him and so forth. And then and Razor was not ever a guy they kind of, you know, felt that way about for whatever reason.
0: Do you guys feel like the Undertaker challenging Austin for the WWF title that year? Do you, do you guys feel like that helped elevate Stone Cold's for or I guess second W W F title ran?
2: he was the right challenger for the time and they did a really good job of building that up as kind of like a dream match kind of situation, you know? Um, so, I think that he, um, you know, I, I think that he definitely, um, uh, I, I think he was the right opponent for the time, definitely, even though it was a babyface versus a babyface situation. Um, I think that was still a, um, you know, I, I think, Um, you know, it it was beneficial for both guys to have that match the way it was done.
0: And do you guys have any thoughts from rest of the card from 98?
2: Um, not really. Um, Jeff Jarrett lost his hair. That was kind of fun. Um, Howard Finkel, uh, dressed up in a DX shirt and, um, and did crotch chops, you know, which was enjoyable. Um, edge debuted as Sable's tag partner. Um, so there was actually kind of a lot of notable things. It's kind of funny in retrospect that like the Lo Brown Val Venus match at the beginning was kind of like intended to like, as like these guys are two future stars who are going to be a big deal in a couple of years. And both of them kind of fell flat. You know, this was kind of their, both of their peaks. um, in, in popularity, so... Um, but, you know, you can't win them all.
1: Yeah. Throwing everything at the wall and see what it sticks. Sure.
0: Then we might also well go to uh, 1999 to the Target Center in Minneapolis with a uh, main event being stone cold, defending the WWF title against Mankind in Triple H with Governor Ventura as a special guest referee. Do you guys feel like Mankind winning the title... At SummerSlam and losing the next night on Raw to Triple H, hurt Stone Cold's title run or hurt Mick Foley winning the title and losing it 24 hours later?
2: Uh, I don't think that, um, you know, uh, I, I, no, I, I mean, I think it was fine, um. Uh, I get why they didn't want Triple H to win it here because obviously Jesse's the the special guest ref, and you don't want him raising Triple H's hand, you know, the heels hand. Yeah. Um, and um, I guess they had Mankind win because you know he's the best transitional choice. They want or they they want Triple H to beat him on Raw, and they want to save the Triple H Stone Cold match for a, a bigger um, thing because we've seen tr- Triple H fully a lot of times. Although they'll, they'll actually do a really good job to make us interested in it again in early two thousand, but. Um, so I, I think they, I, I think what they did make sense and I don't think it hurt things. I do think that like, um, it took a while for, for people to kind of accept like triple H, like, you know, they worked really hard to get it to work and it eventually did, but it was definitely, you know, cold for a while, you know, and, um, you know, it didn't, um, it, uh, it, it, you know, I, so from that perspective, Triple H kind of felt like a guy who wasn't quite, you know, um, didn't quite have enough heat to support it, but, you know, um, it ended up obviously working on the long run.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you need to pull the trigger and just kind of work with it, even if it's not the specific right time. Um, I remember this one a lot because I remember locally here, it got a ton of press that the governor was going to be the special guest referee. Um, and it was a huge deal and all people, if you remember, if either you follow whatever the politics of Jesse Ventura, since he was an independent, he had people on both sides criticizing him for being in this match. So it was an interesting time to, uh, to see him there and to even see him involved in it. So
2: it was, yeah, as a wrestling fan, it was nice to see him back, you know, since he hadn't been in there for a long time. Um, also kind of harkens back to the 88 SummerSlam, which we didn't really talk about his role being the referee in the mega powers and mega bucks, um, match. But, um, so that was kind of neat. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, it is funny in retrospect that, like, oh, yeah, he was governor and he, you know, <laughs> he, he decided to do this. I mean, you know, obviously he cashed in on his fame at the time. So,
0: yeah. Now, what's your guys' thoughts on Billy Gunn losing to The Rock and having his face shoved up a big lady's rear end? <laughs>
2: It's the classiest moment in wrestling history. <laughs>
0: um,
2: yeah, I mean, you know, it, it it's fine, uh, I guess. Um, I liked the um, the uh, Dusty Rhodes approach better, and having the donkey. Um, you know, um, having Rick Rick Flair and Jeff Jarrett, ha- or I forget if it was just Flair. If it was Flair and Jarrett have to kiss the donkey. Um, you know, uh, that 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 that's more in keeping with my. Um, idea of what's funny but you know it, it was 1999 we're we're yeah. definitely in like the crass peak of the attitude era so that was what you know that was what they did yeah they really did they tried it with billy Gunn too but that just didn't work out um at all for whatever yeah, reason i would
0: just
1: i would just point to this as man this is a, one of the biggest step on the brakes moment for anybody, right? Like Billy Gunn won the King of the Ring, he's in a feud with The Rock and then whoa, like it is yeah. over right here. Right. And, and
2: I, you know, and I guess they can't really have The Rock lose a kiss my ass match, but um right. but but yeah it did seem like it does seem sort of strange in retrospect.
0: So I do feel like that may have been King Gunn's crowning achievement being having <laughs> his head shoved up that lady's rear end.
2: <laughs> I guess so sure. I um, guess, do, do you guys
0: have any other uh, thoughts or memories from I guess that match or any other matches from 99
2: uh, the one I think uh, match that was kind of big at the time that maybe has been kind of forgotten about is the test Shane McMahon match um, which is much better than anyone kind of expected it could possibly be um, and we had the big storyline of test why of being in love with Stephanie and Shane being against it and then battling and you know had a lot of had a lot of high spots and, you know, and, um, big stuff and, you know, the moment of test winning and Steph, you know, hugging and kissing him. And then Shane eventually, you know, deciding to endorse the marriage, um, you know, was, was, was neat. And it was you know kind of a neat story. I mean, it was a little bit silly and soap opery, but, um, but it, you know, it definitely, it connected with the crowd. So, um, you know, and, um, you know, up until the whole, you know, um, Triple H running in and, um, you know, um, and secretly marrying Stephanie, um, ahead of test, you know, that was, uh, it worked out pretty well for test. So,
1: yeah, yeah, this, this storyline, it just kind of weirdly like a personal story or whatever. This was the one where it showed to me that, um, wrestling was huge (laughs) and because in my school, i was what was i was like eighth grade at this time seventh grade eighth grade like the girls were coming up and being like oh my gosh is is finally Tess gets to marry stephanie and all that and you know girls that would never talk about wrestling or even care about it at the time um so that that was i was like wow wrestling is really popular right now so just
0: yeah that's interesting well, talk about wrestling being popular. I feel like one of the years that wrestling was huge was the year 2000 with, I believe, one of the main events first SummerSlam 2000 had to be the TLC1 for the Tate titles. Now, I guess I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on TLC1 and the evolution of the ladder match from singles matches to a, tri- a triple-team triple ladder match.
2: I um, I generally prefer the singles ones, although you know I, I these were obviously innovative and exciting at the time. And I think of the TLC matches that the three teams had—Edge and Christian, the Dudleys, and the Hardys—I think this is definitely the best one. Um, so um, but I kind of you know I I, I for the kind of wrestling that I like, I kind of dislike the change of like it being a battle between two and two men wanting to win a match or you know cause pain to each other or win a feud or, or, or whatever into like okay this is you know that it being just all about like fans seeing like exciting spots like obviously you exciting spots are part of wrestling and i like them but that's kind of like when that it becomes all it is, and there's no like story or no like you know um, rooting motivation going on at all, I kind of don't like that as much. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll watch them, and some of them are real fun, but it's not. You know, it just doesn't have the same emotion for me. Yep,
1: yeah, it's it's eating dessert without eating your vegetables.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: In, in my opinion, like it's fun, but you're gonna get a toothache after a while if you keep doing it. Yeah,
0: because I do feel like the whole TLC era of ladder matches did hurt different wrestlers' careers. Like you know, I guess Chris Benoit with his neck surgery and what happened to him years later. I don't know if that would really tie in with his ladder matches, but the just it grew some bumps that him and Edge took that you know that also shortened Edge's career too. That TLC, I feel like. Matches do have a place in history, but I feel like starting with TLC1, I feel like they kind of went overboard on all the TLC matches that would fo- follow in this one in 2000. Sure. But I guess I want to get you also get your guys' thoughts on the other matches from SummerSlam 2000.
2: Um. I really like the Lawler Taz um, feud and just the little match they have here and Jim Ross um, smashing Taz in the head with His the candy um, jar <laughs> right and uh, and Lawler you know celebrating afterward and then, and Lawler and Ross celebrating I think that's just a great moment and great little match and and the, the feud they the, the setup they had to it was perfect I mean I just th- that whole thing is um, is really really good and and I guess also although the it doesn't really come into play during the match because Angle gets hurt um, early on during it and isn't really involved in much of the match. But the Angle and Triple H love triangle with um, Stephanie was was kind of a big deal and, and an interesting story at the at the time. Um, uh, you know, that's definitely worth noting.
1: Right? Yeah, that was a huge storyline at the time and. Um. Yeah, Taz was such just such a dick, and it was awesome to see Lawler and uh, Ross celebrate after Ross hits him in the head with the candy jar.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the way he stood up to him, and yeah, it, it was really um the, the whole thing's really really neat.
0: Yep. Because I really love the second use. I used to watch, I can remember the second use of JR's candy jar in the year two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> because if I remember correctly, JR's candy jar was also used in the Hardcore Battle Royal at WrestleMania 2000.
2: Uh, that's right. I forgot about that.
0: <laughs> but I guess we might as well go to uh, 2001 uh, SummerSlam with uh, the main events being Stone Cold versus Krangle for the WWF title, and for the first time and the only time, Booker T versus The Rock for the WCW title. I guess I want to get your guys' overall thoughts i know it'd probably be hard to kind of condense it but what are you guys' overall thoughts on the wcw ecw invasion storyline and what's your guys's thoughts on the rock being i guess probably i think the second person second wwf superstar to win the wcw title
2: yeah because angle had a short reign with it as well um i um I like the Angle Austin match a lot, and it's or it's really well done. Um, and it's you know kind of the um, um, one of the better matches that you can have that ends with a disqualification, um, and completely makes sense that Austin just is you know throwing out the recipe- referees and doing everything he can to be disqualified because he can't beat Angle. Uh, that was a good story. Um, the Rock Booker T is fine. It's not really. In that special I, I get the decision to give rock the wcw title because i guess you're you're kind of trying to build well they they ended up kind of going back and forth with him and jericho with it so i mean i don't think they really had a you know i, I think they threw up all their plans throughout all their plans once the initial ones didn't work and they were just kind of like you know um seeing what worked so you know they had a lot of um hazard shows because of that um and uh yeah i don't think um obviously the invasion did not go as well as um it, as we would have liked because it just um you know didn't feature the uh big wcw stars and um they weren't presented very well they were rarely given big wins over wwf it just seemed like wwf dominating um lesser lesser wrestlers for the most part and um so it just you know, it, it wasn't nearly as compelling or as interesting as it could have been.
1: Right. For me the the invasion can just be summed up as a big missed opportunity. Um and yeah, and just go <laughs> on from there. Everything you said is completely true on, on that one with the invasion.
0: Yeah, I agree that I wish I wish they would have been been able to bring in a few more main event stars, but they didn't. So it's in the past that's yeah, Past, it's done its history. I also kind of want to get both your guys' thoughts, Beverly. I know you and I talked about this before, but I kind of want I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on blood and matches because when I think about Stone Cold versus Correngo from two thousand one SummerSlam, I th- I think of a lot of blood, and I feel like blood has this spot in professional wrestling, not to the extent that you know both guys are caked with blood. But I guess I want to get your guys' thoughts on the use of blood in their match, and I guess the use of blood in professional wrestling.
2: Um, I, I um, you know, I, 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 there can be too much blood, definitely, where it can get very gross and uncomfortable. Um, I don't necessarily, uh, I, blood can enhance drama, definitely, in matches too. Um, I, I think I'm totally fine with WWE having a policy of not wanting it, bec- you know, for both just hygienic reasons and just you know for because they're PG. Um, I don't think it needs it. I think it, it can add to it, but I, I think kind of, I, you know, I, I, I see the reasons not to have it. So it's definitely, um, um you know, it, it's it, 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 I, I'm sort of mixed on it uh, overall.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm in a I'm in a similar boat where I think that it it can add to it, um, and in some cases, when you look back at history, um, I'm thinking the WrestleMania match with uh, um, Stone Cold and Bret Hart, it probably wouldn't you know look the same without it. But uh, um, you know, if if you were to say you'll never see a match with Bloodnet, I would say I'd probably be fine with that. <laughs> you know, so,
0: yeah. I guess, do you guys have any more thoughts on rest of the card from 2001? Not really. Okay. <laughs> okay. I guess we might as well go into the brand extension years of SummerSlam 2002 to 2008. I know we kind of touched a little bit about SummerSlam 2002. I guess, do you guys have any more Thoughts on Triple H versus Shawn Michaels or Brock versus the Under or Brock versus The Rock?
2: I mean, they're both great. I mean, the the Shawn Michaels return was you know just a bit of a surprise since he'd been out for more than four years, and had they had such a fantastic performance against each other, um, just really great emotion and, and and great work you know for them. Um, of course, you know we have no idea that Michaels would. Uh, his his comeback would end up being permanent and he'd be back for another, you know, seven, eight years. So, um, and up and down, you know, like we talked about already alluded to, there's just some great wrestling on this show. This might really be the best SummerSlam from top to bottom. Um, one match in particular that I think is pretty great is the Rob Van Dam, Chris Benoit intercontinental title match, which is, I think maybe my, my favorite Rob Van Dam match. um, also an Edge Eddie Guerrero match, just just some really good stuff um, from top to bottom. Um, you know, beyond of course the the great main events, and then Brock, the, the Rock, just um, completely putting over Lesnar and uh, and just completely um, letting him, you know, um, giving him the coronation that um, you know he needed at the time was um, was absolutely perfect. So uh, great shows, great matches.
1: Yeah, the Brock Lesnar Rock feud was awesome from beginning to end and this was a great uh finish of it I, I mean no missteps in my opinion i thought they did a great job there and and yeah like you said rock uh, did a great job just giving it to him and letting you know letting this be the coronation the full-on coronation
0: i echo what both you guys said about that and also wasn't this a summer slam where the undertaker fought test yep Okay, yeah, because I, yeah, I just thought about that. Like, yeah, I thought Undertaker fought Test when that was towards the end of the Un-Americans angle.
2: Yeah, that's just a, a pretty solid match, too, um, um, as well. And then, and yeah, he kind of, that was his, in fact, he turned at that point because he'd been a heel up until then, um, and he turned uh, to battle the Un-Americans, so.
0: Okay, I guess we as well jump into 2003, where... The World Heavyweight title was defended in the Elimination Chamber and Kurt Angle versus Brock Lesnar for the WWE title. What's your guys' thoughts on those two matches or any other matches from th- that night?
2: You know, I, I get what they were going for with the Elimination Chamber with um, Goldberg looking dominant and running through everyone, and then Triple H, um, you know, winning on a fluke using a sledgehammer. Um, I get that they were building to another big match for Goldberg to win the title in a singles match, and, and that's another thing that makes sense on paper, but I think if Goldberg um, had won it on this night, it would have created a really special moment. And I'm not saying that necessarily that would have changed the game for Goldberg in WWE or, or really made a much of a difference in WWE history, but I do think that, like, Goloberg blasting through Triple H here and winning the title in this environment, in, in that setting, I think it would have been like a super memorable thing.
1: Yeah, it would have, it would have been nice to see him walk through five other guys to to win there. Um, just a kind of a random note: you guys talked about Undertaker test in the last one, and then this one has Undertaker a train. Um, if you can see how that uh, the WrestleMania 20 repackage for The Undertaker really helped him um, because he was kind of languishing a little bit in this era, this OTO3
2: era. When is The Undertaker versus Trish match? I don't know. Well, he, had the uh, well, He 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 of course, faced the other members of TNA, so I, I assumed that oh. he would have also faced Trish. <laughs> well,
0: Maybe so, it's still upcoming. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't the, know. I mean, yeah. And <laughs> since The Undertaker is <laughs> in the blondes, since you know, his previous two wives were blondes, who knows?
2: Go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but I guess, do you guys have any other thoughts from SummerSlam 2003?
2: It's uh, not a very good show overall, I would say. Uh, the, the Anger Lesnar's pretty good, yeah, but um, the rest of it's sense. kind of a waste. Yeah, really
0: good angle lesnar
2: match, but not much otherwise on it.
0: Okay, then we we'll as also jump into a 2004 summer, summer, summer with or- Orton defeating Benoit for the world title and JBL retaining the WWE title against The Undertaker. What is your guys' thoughts on, I guess, 2004, WWE? Because I feel like they were in a... Uh, rebuilding stage in 2004.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. Although this is a strong show um, overall. I mean, almost everything on it I liked quite a bit. Um, The... um, the JBL um, Undertaker match begins a long history of the SmackDown title getting a, a screw job uh, finish at uh, SummerSlam. Some sort of DQ or some scrappy finish at SummerSlam. Um, the orton Benoit uh, match, I think, is really good. You know, of course, if you're... Uh, understandably, there are people who don't want to watch Chris Benoit matches anymore. But, uh, but this is a good performance. I like... Um, the end, and I like Benoit, you know, demanding um, that Orden shake his hand and yells at him, "Be a, be a man!" And, uh, and and I think that that stuff's real well done. Um, and you know, this, of course, it didn't really turn out the way that we kind of people thought it would for Orden. You know, at this point, obviously Orden developed later, and, it, and he won a title and became very important. But um, this was kind of meant to sort of be his coordination into becoming, you know, a big deal and, and a centerpiece wrestler. And then and that took a while for him to be able to uh, do that. But up in town, this is a um, a, a strong and pretty uh, fun show, uh, you know, and with a very solid main event.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. There are several, I think um, you can point to this one as just being really well paced, in my opinion. You didn't didn't have any that really a uh, drug, but also you didn't have any um where you uh wish would well, maybe some we'd wish would be longer, but I think they all they all clip by pretty well. That the post match with JBO and, and Undertaker maybe went a little long. But um yeah, I really liked the Randy Orton uh, Benoit match. Um I liked the John Cena and Booker T match with that started that best of five series. It was, yeah, it was good up and down. I liked it.
0: Now, yeah, I guess we're going to jump into SummerSlam in two thousand five, where uh, Hulk Hogan came back against Sh- Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is one month heel turn, and Chris Jericho versus John Cena for the WWE title. Do you guys feel like Shawn Michaels in two thousand five was the best candidate for another Hulk Hogan main event?
2: um yeah i i mean i uh i think the whole thing was just tremendous um i love the match it's just it's completely ridiculous and john you know seems like completely unprofessional in it but it just totally works for them as characters and as real life people or what what we think what we know of them what we think we know of them at like backstage personalities and so forth um you know, I think of this somewhat as the last clash between WCW and WWF of the Monday night war era and, and WCW wins. So, you know, I, I, uh, that makes me happy. And, um, and, and I just think like, um, uh, the way that the crowd loses it for Hogan, um, at the beginning of the match when he comes out and it's just like, and it's just like, oh my God, he still has it. Like he's still, you know, can do it even though obviously he had advanced in age, but um, I don't know. It's, it's fun to watch. Um, and I, I don't feel bad for Shawn Michaels because like of all the, like, you know, like Hogan, obviously his reputation of like not doing things that would help other people. But like, if you want to talk about a guy who has a reputation for that, like Shawn Michaels is like, you know, probably the one guy who has like a worse one, you know, at least during his, <laughs> um you know, during, during his nineties prime in particular. So um yeah and i this is another really stacked show the, the Cena jericho match is very good uh i really like the batista bradshaw world title no holds barred match um orton undertaker's really good that was kind of a surprise you know like orton undertaker had wrestled at wrestlemania undertaker of course had won there um ray and eddie um in the ladder match you know that the storyline over uh, Dominic Ray son, you know, the, the, the that whole thing was kind of ridiculous, but it just, you mm-hmm. know, I don't know. It, it was a fun, like, soap opera storyline and had a fun payoff there. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, up and down, it's a, a fun show. Even Kurt Angle beating Eugene. Like, I love, like, it, it's weird because, of course, like, the, the crowd is cheering Angle destroying Eugene, who is, of course, a mentally handicapped character. But... I think they're more cheering Eugene, like the destruction of like that character who they don't like and felt has been pushed down their throats more than, you know, anything like that. And I, I love like angle winning and then wanting to like stand up on the platform and get his medals and celebrating afterward. I just think like, you know, that was a pretty, like, as far as like dominant squashes go, that's one of my favorite ones. So just a, you know, another well-paced card, I would say.
1: Yeah. Yep yeah and i thought I think when you going back to your first question about if Michaels was the right candidate, I think he was the perfect candidate because who else could turn heel for a month, lose you know cleanly to Hulk Hogan and come back the next night and have just as much popularity as he did before you know I think he and he was silly, but it was in a good way, I think because if he was realistically being beaten by Hogan? Would you really buy it? I thought just everything was uh, was great in that feud. I loved it, and I love the Larry King skit. That's one of my most favorite. Brother, brother, brother. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, the funny thing is that like the overselling that Sean does in that match isn't like dramatically more than the overselling he does in every other match. So <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, that's what Shawn Michaels does. So you
1: know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess I, if you look at the the Vader match in '96, it's really not that much different then, right?
2: Exactly. You know.
0: I also want to get your guys' uh, opinion on Chris Jericho helping put Cena over as a main event status player that year. For Jericho losing to Cena at SummerSlam, then losing to Cena again the next night on Raw for a loser leaves the company match.
2: Uh, I really like I like this match, and I liked the night afterward. Um, and the uh, and, and Jericho leaving the way he did was memorable. And uh, people kind of were a little bit in arms on the internet at the time about it. But obviously, like Jericho was fine. He came back later. It was all good. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I think it took a little while. Like Cena certainly was popular, but I, I don't necessarily think the Jericho feud. I mean, you know, he wanted he beat a guy who was a name that was good. But I don't. I think it took. I like, I don't think Cena was really cemented until he beat Triple H at the next WrestleMania, and that kind of made him like, like, oh, okay, we definitely have to like take it, like, like he was already important, but now it's like, oh, okay, he's super important, and he's gonna be super important for a while. So um, I don't think that feud really, the Jericho feud really made a big difference in that. I could be wrong, but I don't really remember feeling like there was a big. Difference before and after on that. You know, I think Cena, Cena was already kind of ahead of Jericho in the pecking order. So, you know, I mean, it was nice that he beat him and it was nice they had good matches, but that was about it.
0: Yeah, I guess we must as well go uh, 2006, where I feel like 2006, in my opinion, was uh, had four main events uh, Hulk Hogan versus Randy Orton, Rick Flitter versus Mick Foley in I Quit match, DX versus the McMahons an edge versus cena for the WWE title. What is your guys' thoughts on any of those four matches or any of those four feuds?
2: Do you want to go first? Sure, I
1: can. Um I thought the Flair and Foley feud up to this point was um good. I thought in my opinion this match was was a little disappointing, but I thought the feud in general was uh good. Um the McMahon's and DX, or even like the the opening of this whole pay per view. That was the one where DX like controlled. Or no, that's later. Sorry, that's later. I think. Um, but regardless, I don't. I don't really like the reunion of DX in general. And <laughs> I guess I'll leave it at that. I don't think what they do um, as a whole is very impressive. Um, but i i really like the edge and and cena um viewed that whole summer and they had some really good matches in it
2: yeah it was nice that edge won on the upset too you know that was kind of a cool um way to do it um and to build to the bigger match i think that was one instance where the way they did it actually was was beneficial and the next matches were memorable so it was nice to do it that way um i really like the flair foley match um and um you know, even adding Melina to it and having Melina be the reason that, um, that, uh, Foley quit, you know, cause he'd had, you know, kind of the, the friendship with her. That was always kind of an odd thing, odd mix there. But, um, but I thought that was a good, I mean, just a, a very bloody, but very intense and physical match. Um, uh, Hogan-Orton's is good for what it is. I mean, it's not necessarily the... Uh, I don't think it's as, as fun as the Michaels match the year before, but it's, you know, it's fine. And I think Hogan winning was fine. I don't think there's any problem there. I think Orton was fine in the loss. Um, and uh, McMahon's versus DX uh, is not really my thing. I mean, they did it about as well as possible with um, having all the heels run in and, and attack early in the match. Um, like, they had Finley, they would Regal uh umaga eventually and a few a big show as well although it's funny because once like triple h and michael start having the advantage like no one runs out to help (laughs) the mcmans again you know (laughs) um but uh you know i for what it was it was fine um i actually really like the opener with chavo and Rey mysterio um that was really good um uh, and Sabu and Big Show was actually a pretty decent hardcore match, uh, which I enjoyed more than I would have expected to. Uh, so, yeah, this is another really uh, strong, uh, you know, top-to-bottom SummerSlam match. It's actually a really good uh, streak of that going along, which is not going to last into the next year, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I guess we also jump into that in 2007, where uh, John Cena and Randy Orton fought for the WWE title. Uh, I guess the only thing I want to say about that is side because I feel like Cena and Orton has been done too many of times. And I guess yeah, this was be one of their first pay-per-view main events, if I can recall correctly.
2: Yeah, this I think is the first, it, I mean, that might be their first match like on television like ever, you know. Um, they kept them apart for a while after they kind of both became single star. I mean, obviously they wanted to kind of build to a big match with them.
0: I guess yeah. What is both your guys' thoughts on Cena versus Orton and the 2007 card for SummerSlam?
2: Um, I um, I like the match a lot. Actually, um, I'm not sure they've ever had a better one. Um, it's uh, the, the feud, and the feud's been done so many times that, you know, it's sort of like almost none of their matches stand out because they've had so many of them or a few of them stand out because they've had so many. Um, the show overall, it's just, um, you, they kind of the, the, the big thing is they hype the returns of Rey Mysterio and Triple H and they both have matches and it, And uh, the Ray Chavo match is okay and even the Triple H Booker match is okay, but they both, I think are suffer from like the inevitability of like, okay these guys are returning tonight so we know they're going to win these matches, so it's not, you know like, investing in them is not really, like, you know, it, I, I think you just don't quite invest as much into a match if you're, like, almost certain about who the winner would be. Um, and there's not a whole lot that stands out. Kane versus Fit Finley is a little better than I would than you would expect it to be. It's more of a Fit Finley match than a Kane match. Uh, and the rest of the show is not particularly memorable.
1: Yeah, Morrison and CM Punk was fun, but there was they were having really good matches all over ECW TV at that time too. So, it, this is no better than any other match that you would see with
0: them. Now we might as well jump in uh, to, into 2008, where the two main matches were Batista versus Cena and Edge versus Undertaker inside the Hell in the Cell. <laughs> I feel like 2008 was the first year where I believe the world title and the WWE titles were downplayed. I guess, what are your guys' thoughts on that and the two main events?
1: Do you want to go first? No, sure. Um, Yeah, well, it's not the first time at SummerSlam where the titles are downplayed, because if you go back way to the beginning, that's what we saw, too. Um, The... The main events um batista and cena is interesting it's the kind of the clash of their kind of the big stars of this era the era that we're talking about the mid-2000s um yeah uh, pretty good i i like the the edge and undertaker feud overall um and this in uh kind of a campy way to end it but um it, it's cool as well so
2: yeah, with uh, Undertaker choke slamming um, Edge into the fire. Yeah, I would echo all that. I liked the uh, the Cena Batista matches it w- was at the time surprisingly good because Batista hadn't really had. You, you, I mean, he had a few good matches, but not like I don't think a whole lot was expected of this match. And then and no one knew they had good chemistry because they'd never wrestled before, so um, they had a a fun match. Um, yeah, Triple H and Kali and CM Punk and JBL were the title matches, and Punk was. Uh, had kind of won the title on a flute, cashing in the money in the bank against Edge. Um so um after Batista beat him up. So um you, those weren't necessarily standing out so much. Um I do like the um the, the one thing that we didn't that, that's I think the the stand out thing from the show is um uh Chris Jericho uh, punching Shawn Michaels wife in the face. Like that was like the, the most incredible like that angle was really, really well done and part of like a really great feud that they um had together, which of course would lead to, you know, Jericho winning the title and them having a, you know, ladder match uh with each other. And and I agree with the um I think the Undertaker Edge feud might have been a little overdone, but I still think like, you know, it was a it was a fitting end to that and um and, you know, a, a cool visual at the very least, even if it was maybe a little bit hokey.
0: So I do feel like the Shawn Michaels Chris Jericho feud from 2008 probably has to be the best feud from 2008 period, and I do in my personal opinion, I feel like the Edge Undertaker Hell in a Cell match is probably one of the better Well, uh, it has to be up as one of the top Hell in a Cell matches, if not the best I think, yeah. I think just because the lasting memory of Undertaker from top of the, the ladder chokes up an edge through the through the ring, and you know, a big, yeah, a big bile, a big old flame of fire fly, flying up like he, uh, sent Edge to hell. You no, know, yeah. we didn't see Edge for a few months.
1: Yeah, well, that's a very cool visual. They did a really good job of shooting that. You got to give the camera and production crew a good job on that one.
0: Now, we might as well go to uh, the next section of years, uh, Staples Center Summer Slams from 2009 to current. Uh, what's your guys' general thoughts on the Staples Center in LA being uh the home of Summer Slam?
2: I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit, but obviously it's a nice, you know, for them business-wise and, you know, for people to, you know, um have their spend if they want to do a vacation or um or some kind of thing, you know, that's obviously a um cool thing. And I I think 2009 is a um, you know, it's a uh it, it's a it's a mixed show i think it's it's pretty it's solid for the most part there's certainly some highlights um the the main event of cm punk beating jeff hardy in the ladder match in particular and also the uh ray mysterio dolph ziggler opener for the intercontinental title are both really um you know excellent matches um there's an orton cena rematch that i think kind of underperforms a little bit uh, or, not really rematch because they were in the middle of their big feud, but you know, yeah. from two years before, anyway. They'd had matches between then, but you get what I'm saying. Yep. And then the DX versus DiBiase and Rhodes tag team match was, you know, was pretty, pretty good. Not necessarily fantastic, but um, pretty good. I, I do think like they kept like the, the, the over. The DX obnoxiousness was toned down more in 2009 than it was in 2006, so that made it a little more bearable. Um, they weren't quite as much all over the shows, and, and this is also kind of when they're in a PG, so they kind of just have to tone down the antics anyway. The, so it's not doesn't feel quite as silly and juvenile,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. This is the one that I was talking about where they start the show off by interrupting the intro video. I yeah, alluded yeah. to that in all six, but that's 09. Um, yeah, I liked the the Punk and Hardy match a lot. That was my favorite match in this one. Um, I even, again, I feel like I must have been watching ECW a lot during this period because I liked uh, the uh, Christian William Regal match as well. I thought that was good kind of in the last days of the ECW as a separate brand yeah. uh, well,
2: deal. All, uh, all eight seconds of it?
1: Yeah, well, more the feud than the match. Yeah, I,
2: I, I what they did made sense. I mean, you know, Christian got the snuck in and, and hit him when he was taking his robe off, and then he got beaten down. Like, yeah, the feud was good. I, I agree with you.
1: Yeah, yeah, it seems like ECW. Um, you shouldn't watch the pay per views to get the best of that. Go just go watch the show itself, uh, which is
2: like which is actually kind of like the original ECW. So
1: yeah, <laughs> right. They were true to that. Then.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, so probably one of the few things that McMahon did right when he relaunched ECW. Yeah, well, kind of. I mean,
2: it became a fun B show or I get EC show or whatever. You know, I mean, it you know it, it obviously wasn't like the same as the other ECW, but it became something kind of interesting and fun on its own. So,
0: I want to get your guys' thoughts on the Hardy Punk ladder match compared to the or TLC match compared to the three other ladder matches that we talked about before, in regards to ladder match. In Summerslam history, where do you guys do you guys feel like this is the... or I guess we out of the four ladder matches. Where do you guys rank them in Summerslam history?
2: Um, I you know I that's I would uh, honestly have it fourth. Although I still think it's really good, um, but I don't think it's quite as good as the other ones. Maybe you know, um, I maybe you could talk me into third, um. But uh, I, but regardless, I really did enjoy the feud. Um, the Punk Hardy feud was really um, well done and, uh, and did a lot for CM Punk. I think although they kind of s- stopped his momentum by having him get beaten very easily by the Undertaker um, right afterward. Which by the way, like Undertaker, like sneaking through the ring afterward attacking CM Punk, like that seemed like weirdly. Like, um, mean for the Undertaker to do, for lack of a better term. Like, I could see if, like, he were feuding with CM Punk, then it would kind of make sense. But, like, if he's just coming up and just, like, slang him randomly just to be, you know, mean, like, I get that, you know, like, Undertaker isn't necessarily, like, the nicest person in the world either, but it just seems, like, unnecessarily, like, you know, come on, Taker, you know, why are you doing this? You can just ask Tate Long for a shot. I'm sure he'll give you one, you know. Yeah.
1: Whether you like it or not, everybody goes one-on-one with the Undertaker. <laughs> with there you go,
2: fun. exactly.
1: Um, yeah, and also like Undertaker seems like a ca- um, a character that more deals in like intimidation than like on the sneak tactics. Like it would seem more apropos for his character to you know come out at the end and just look at CM Punk and scare him to death rather than yeah. actually have to touch him.
2: Well, he does use magic for dramatic entrances. I mean, that makes sense. But like, you know, like a stare <laughs> yeah. down or something, or yeah. like, uh, you know, I'm gonna. And then, like, you know, what if, like, let's say, like, you know, Undertaker done the stare down. He points at the belt and he or makes some sort of belt motion, and then he like leaves, and then Punk tries to attack him, and then he beats up Punk. That would that would have been a lot better.
0: Yeah. Uh huh.
1: No. Totally. That's exactly what I would have done.
0: Yeah, we might as well jump into 2010 with the main event being Team WWE versus Team Nexus. Do you guys feel like this is a WWE's version of the NWO? <laughs> uh,
2: I mean, you know, that's kind of what they were trying, and yeah. it certainly had some good moments. Uh, I mean, the initial angle was incredible. Well, and amazing. Yeah, and... Um, some things throughout to build up this match. I did enjoy. Um, and I do like this match a lot, or well, I I like elements of this match a lot. One thing I do like a lot is that, uh, Bret Hart's involvement in it. He looks, he he obviously doesn't look like his mid nineties self, but he looks, you know, pretty good. You know, he has some nice spots. I mean, after the debacle that, you know, he and Vince was at that WrestleMania that year, it was nice for him to kind of have like a match that he, you know, could look good in and, um, you know, do some, and, and, you know, have be kind of fun and, you know, and and I, I enjoyed Brett, you know, being involved in that. So that was kind of cool.
1: Yeah. I thought the, like I said, the first initial angle was fantastic and I, uh, it was, it was a logical kind of, uh, conclusion here. So,
2: yeah, I, 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 mean, I mean the thing that everybody talks about uh, obviously is Cena um, doing the um, uh, the fact that like Cena gets like Dt in the floor and, and uh, with Gabriel and Barrett there and then like immediately pops up like a few yeah. minutes later and beats um, Gabriel and uh, and Barrett like nothing has happened yeah um, I, which I guess would have been okay if like this was like the final blow off of the feud and Nexus was going away, but then they went to like Cena versus Nexus for the entire fall. So um oh, it great. seemed pretty short sighted um at that point. Right.
0: Yeah, so we might as well jump in uh twenty eleven where uh Christian versus Orton for uh, the world title and no holds barred match and CM Punk and Johnson and Unifying the their two WWE, two WWE titles. What's your guys' thoughts on both of the main events?
2: Do you want to go first?
1: Um, sure. Uh, yeah i I like the the Del Rio um, cash in. I, I I like the. I mean, and everything that comes after it is all all good stuff. Um, this this is a pretty good one. Um, up and down. I liked Mark Henry's character at, at this time. You know he's facing Sheamus. Um, you know Randy Orton and Christian's uh, pretty good uh, as well. Um, it's this is a pretty good show. I I think in, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, I I like the Punk Cena match is fine. It's just not nearly as good as the Money in the Bank match, and it was too soon for them to wrestle again. And I think. Yeah it didn't quite have the same atmosphere that you would like. Um, I um, um, Del Rio cashing in I, I, I was fine. Um, and eventually Punk and Del Rio, you know, that had a nice payoff. But um, just everything with, like, the whole Kevin Nash saga and, well, you know, yeah. everything they did there was just kind of convoluted. And, you know, they had a chance to kind of make the Money in the Bank story with, C- with Punk special, and they just kind of, like, didn't so that was a disappointment. But um, but the match is fine. Um, Orton and Christian I think was a nice cap off for their feud, the No Holds Barred match. Um, and I really like the Mark Seamus Henry match. Um, shame they did a nice job of making Seamus into like a tough face, and, um, and and it was a fun feud for the two of them. Um, so I um, so you know overall this is a pretty uh, a pretty strong show.
0: Do you guys feel like the do you guys feel like they dropped the whole CM Punk leaving with the WWE title like a month or so before?
2: Well, yeah, I mean they. I mean, well, I mean he obviously like he brought back the title, but I, that's the kind of story that needs like a length of time to tell, and they tried to cram it into a very short amount of time, and it didn't have nearly the impact that it would have if they'd have stretched it out and have had actually had Punk stay away for a while and then had him come back at the right time and then make you know make it a big deal and and so forth. Um yeah. but, you know, I mean I get they wanted a big match for SummerSlam and Punk Cena was the one they wanted. So, you know, I I I get it, but I still think it was short sighted.
1: Yeah, and and that first week week or two were were really good when he was showing at the showing up at the Cubs game with the title and he was doing other media appearances with it. If they would have continued that for, you know, months instead of month, it would have been uh, really good.
0: Then yeah, we might as well jump into 2012, where the where CM Punk defended their WWE title in a three way against John Cena in the Big Show, and Brock Lesnar fought Triple H in the main event. What's your guys' thoughts on? I guess Brock Lesnar coming back and. CM Punk's 434 day title reign
2: um I I I like the Lesnar Triple H match quite a bit like it's um it's definitely like hard hitting and it kind of kept to Brock's style um kind of better than I thought it would honestly um and better than some of the later matches uh like i'm not particularly a big fan of the triple h lesnar match at the 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 rematch at wrestlemania but this one i think was pretty good um and uh the three-way is fine but pretty disposable um i think kind of punk sort of treaded water between the between turning heel a month before this at the 1000th raw and then his feud with um uh with the rock where he lost the belt like I, I feel like he didn't do all that much uh memorable I mean I know he had a match with cena and and such but but I mean and maybe i I wasn't paying very close attention at the time so maybe there's stuff that happened that I just missed that was interesting but I just kind of feel like uh there wasn't a whole lot memorable once he turned heel he was they were just kind of stretching out the time almost um uh another good match on the, a couple actually I think Jericho and Ziggler's very good um and I, I actually kind of like the story of Jericho, um, sort of like wondering if he still has it, and sort of being able to beat Dolph in a big match here. I thought that was actually a a, a meaningful thing, and actually um, did well. Uh, I, Daniel Bryan Kane was good. Bryan beating Kane was a ni- kind of a nice upset, uh, and Sheamus Del Rio also was a good match, and um, they they feuded for a long time. Maybe had a few too many matches in that feud, but but I um. But every time I've seen them together, I've enjoyed it. So you know, for for what it's worth.
0: Because I feel like the the Jericho Ziggler feud, I feel like they tied it very well at the 2013 Royal Rumble where Ziggler was number one. He had the I think the World Title Money in the Bank briefcase Mm -hmm. because if I remember correctly, uh, yeah, he did a pre-Rumble interview saying that he's going to, yeah, go enter the Rumble as number one, win the Rumble. Cashing the World Title briefcase, win the world title, and unify the that with the WWE title at WrestleMania, then Jericho coming out as number two to everybody's surprise. Yeah. you know, I, you know kind of pre preluding Jericho's surprise return. But I do feel like the Jericho Ziegler opener was probably one of the better Summerslam openers that in history of SummerSlam, in my opinion.
1: Uh, one of them. I I like that um, Mysterio Ziggler opener too.
0: Okay. Do you guys have any any other thoughts from SummerSlam 2012?
1: Um, I like the Lesnar Triple H match a lot. Like Jason said, this is, um, in my opinion, by far the best one of their uh, matches. Uh, maybe should have ended there, but <laughs> it was it was good. Um, yeah, pretty good up and down, like like we had
0: talked about. Then we might as well jump into last year's SummerSlam 2013 where CM Punk fought Brock Lesnar on a no-disqualification match and John Cena fought Daniel Bryan for the WWE title. What's your guys' thoughts on those two matches?
2: uh i mentioned before but yeah they're both absolutely fantastic along with the del rio christian match, i think that one belongs right in the same conversation with those two it kind of gets overshadowed by those two but i think it's fantastic as well and didn't necessarily have the same benefit of being like hyped up as like a huge match um atmosphere wise so i you know they maybe had to work a little harder to get the crowd into it but um i think that's a great um thing and uh and brian winning beating cena in that moment to win the title um and then to have it taken away from him just right away by orton and triple h turning heel on him was you know at the time i thought oh maybe it would have been better to stretch that out and maybe it would have been but um the way that it ended up paying off in the feud at, at wrestlemania you know makes it hard to say that that you know they didn't do the right thing um certainly on the you know, maybe in the micro details you could change around some of the things they did, but in the in the, in the bigger picture, like you know the way they, um, you know the, the the way they handled it with Brian was was pretty excellent.
1: Yeah, just the the thrill, and then just the balloon being popped right in front of the the fans there. I thought it was done really well.
0: Next, yeah, I know it was talked about for a few weeks that Orton didn't even have a match at that year's yeah last year's SummerSlam, and him even calling it out before on, you know, a couple of rounds beforehand, so that, you know, it doesn't matter who's going to win the match. I want to cash in and beca- walk out as WWE champion, which, you know, yeah, I felt like was great, especially that Brian had his moment in the Senate at Rustmania 30 this past year. It sucks, you know, Brian, Brian got an injury a month or so after his title win. But, yeah, like what you said earlier, Jason, I hope, you know, Brian can recover You know, 100% come back and recapture that glory that he once had. Then I guess, you know, kind of talking a little bit about uh, this year's uh, SummerSlam. I guess the only thing I want to talk about about it is uh, the Brock Lesnar versus John Cena match for the WWE title. Are you guys looking forward to that match and should Brock Lesnar walk out as WWE champion?
2: Uh, yeah, I think it'll, you know, obviously their first match was um, was tremendous, the Extreme Rules 2012 match. Um, I, I think it's going to be hard to meet that those expectations, but um, I still think that there's a, a, a very good chance it'll be a good match. And, um, I, and, and I'm looking forward to it. I, I think storytelling wise, it makes sense for um, Lesnar to win, which means he'd have to win the championship. Um, and I think it may kind of make sense for him, you know, to to build someone up to beat him for the title, whether you want to try that with, um, uh, with, um, uh, the member of the shield that I am blanking on Roman Roman Reigns. Reigns? Yes. And, or, you know, if Daniel Bryan gets healthy and you want to do with him at WrestleMania or, or something along those lines, or you want to rebuild the scene. I mean, I think there's, um, some good, um, you know money in that chase, um for lack of a better term but um so yeah i think it'll be interesting and it'll be interesting to see what they do with having a champion who's not going to be on tv every week i mean i assume he'll be on on most of the pay-per-views if he's champion uh maybe not maybe not even all pay-per-views but I'm, i'm sure you know he'll be on he won't just be on like every you know yeah, he'll, he'll do more than SummerSlam and WrestleMania, obviously, but um, it'll be interesting to see how they handle having a champion who's not around um, all the time. I guess I did a little bit with The Rock, but Rock seemed like he was on TV most of the time heading into, um, you know, between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania that he had, and, and Lesnar's obviously a different dynamic. So
1: Yeah, it's kind of cool to sometimes see how they can get creative with um, those kind of limitations
0: yeah because i feel like with the wwe network they necessarily don't need to have the wwe champion to fund the title at, at every pay-per-view i feel like you know like what you said jason that you know if he makes even half of the pay-per-views i'll be more than happy to see that
1: yeah as long as you have like a really hot feud to carry those pay-per-views
0: yeah definitely so uh I was want want to ask both of you guys if uh, both of you guys still have a little bit more time to uh, go through a SummerSlam jobber main eventer and top five list.
2: Sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: I know. Yeah, normally that uh, for the for each podcast, Beverly and I like to pick a jobber, like the least valuable player of like. Uh, well, for this podcast, for SummerSlam and also main eventer, the most valuable player. And I thought I was to go first since. You know, give you guys a little, a little bit of a break from talking since uh, I primarily asked the questions and stood out your guys as well. I had for the history of SummerSlam, my were has to be the main event match between Diesel and Mabel from 1995. You know, solely like what you guys mentioned before that Mabel wasn't ready for main event status back in '95, and I feel like with Diesel as a WWF champion, I feel like they should have put. Gave him challengers who could carry the match, and obviously Mabel wasn't there. Even when he would become Big Daddy V years later, I don't even feel like as Big Daddy V, Mabel could have carried the match into a decent match. So for my SummerSlam jobber, Mabel versus Diesel from '95 is my SummerSlam jobber. Beverly, who would be your jobber for SummerSlam?
1: Ooh, mm, Gosh, man, that's a tough one. Oh man, I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Kane, because he was involved in a lot of matches. He's been in the WWE since, you know, 97, Um, but in that stretch, only a couple of his SummerSlam matches stood out as being um, on the above average side. So I'm going to pick him.
2: Uh, I'm going to pick the Hardys, because they have lost every single SummerSlam match they've ever been involved in, except for one. That's That's nice. which, Which was at SummerSlam 2008, uh, Matt Hardy beat Mark Henry uh, in 33 seconds by disqualification. I believe Tony Atlas got involved. <laughs> which continues the tradition of ECW title matches, uh, getting uh, not very much time at a WWE pay-per-view, particularly SummerSlam.
0: Yeah. yeah, I might as well go into my SummerSlam Man Inventor, and it has to be Chris Jericho, solely on the fact of putting Cena over in their match in 2005, then I feel like it also helped build, in, um, uh. build up Dolph Ziggler in 2012. Because I feel like, you know, I guess in my opinion, I feel like that's the best SummerSlam opener. You know, that's, you know, my opinion, and I have different opinions. You know, there's other great SummerSlam openers, and I feel like also with Jericho being back this year in 2014, and facing Bray Wyatt, you know, uh, Jericho's known, I guess I feel like since the last nine to ten years, to put people, you know, coming back for different periods of time to pit people over. And I feel like, you know, yeah, a couple of times Jericho did put a newer talent over. So, yeah, Jericho has to be my SummerSlam main inventor
1: Okay, I'm going to go with uh, Brett Hart. Because all the way from the very beginning up until 94, you could say that he was in um, one of the top two or three matches of the sh- whole show. So that that's mine, Bret Hart.
2: Yeah, I would, I would actually pick Bret as well, and I would throw in uh, 97 as well, the Undertaker uh, match. Um, that he, is also a great performance for him. But since you picked Bret Hart, I will now try to think of... Uh, somebody else. I'm going to pick Ray Mysterio because uh, Ray's never really had a whole lot of chances to uh, stand out at WrestleMania for uh, various reasons. It just hasn't worked out so well, but he has a really good performance against Kurt Angle in 2002. Um, he's uh, fun in a six-man tag match against the Dudleys and Spike with uh, Paul London and Billy Kidman in 2004. Uh, he has the really great uh, ladder match with Eddie in 2005. It's a big blow off to their feud, and um, has a couple of good matches with Chavo in 2006 and 2007. Particularly in 2006, um, he also has the opener that you, of course, you mentioned with Dolph. Uh, all right. I guess you. Would, this is a different opener, which is also a contender for one of the best openers I think of, of SummerSlam history. The, the Ray Mysterio Dolph Ziggler match from um, 2009, and as a solid match with Kane in 2010. So, um, uh, so that, that's a pretty good track record, I think, um, for um, for Ray. Maybe not yeah, absolutely the best, but there's some related performances in there that are kind of uh, maybe forgotten about a little bit, and um, you know, are some uh, some good things. Also had a match with The Miz in 2012 that was pretty solid. Not not quite as good as they had had previously, but you know still a uh, fairly good one. He also did six man in 2011, so he's been in a, he's been in quite a few um, SummerSlam matches.
0: And we may also go into our top five SummerSlam matches, and my number five has to be the Undertaker versus Edge Hell in a Cell match from 2008. I know we talked about it a little bit before, but I feel like just the uh, uh, closing. Memory of seeing Edgeman choke slam off the ladder through the ring with the flame coming out of the out of the hole. I just feel like that has to be one of the the one of the awesome SummerSlam memories and SummerSlam matches in history of SummerSlam. For sure. Okay,
1: my number five. I'm going to go with, we talked about it a couple times, I really like that Mysterio-Ziggler match 09. I'm going to give that number five.
2: Uh, I'm going to give uh, Hulk Hogan, Shawn Michaels from uh, SummerSlam 2005 my, um, my number five. Whatever it lacks in, you know, in, in you know, Great work rate! It is just so tremendously fun to watch that I just uh, I, I love it every time. So that is that is my choice.
0: Okay, uh, my number four has to be Chris Jericho defeating Dolph Ziggler at SummerSlam 2012 because, like I kind of mentioned before, I feel like Jericho helped build up Ziggler, at least for a little while, as the next future main event star.
1: Okay uh for my number four i am gonna do the brain busters versus heart foundation from uh 89 really liked that one thought it was some good work from heenan just everything um from top to bottom in that match was really good uh
2: i'm gonna go with del rio and christian from SummerSlam 2013 is my number four um like I said, just a really excellent, uh, back and forth, exciting, uh, match. I mean, Del Rio does a really good job of getting some, some heat there. And, you know, Christian's always game for, um, he's always game for having good matches, but they're always, or not always, but often they're good matches that sort of like surprise you like, Oh wow, this is getting better than I want. They're like, they sort of slowly become great matches, um, So uh, this is another great example. This really doesn't mean that the Christian couldn't come back again, but maybe, you know, toward the end of his career. So um, great performance by uh, both guys and a lot of fun.
0: My number three match has to be Triple H, -H 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 defeating The Rock for the Intercontinental title ladder match from SummerSlam 98. I know we mentioned it before, but that's one of the few matches I usually go back once, usually once a year to watch. I feel like that match helped put The Rock and Triple H up, moving from the mid-card level to the main event status level.
1: Okay. Uh, My number three is um, from 1992, the uh, Bret Hart and British Bulldog match. Just a great atmosphere, good work, everything in that one. Um, My number three is the...
2: uh Demolition versus Heart Foundation, two out of three falls, um, match at SummerSlam 1990. Um, Demolition were my favorite tag team, but I like the Heart Foundation as well. I, I was very sad when Demolition turned heel and added, and added the hated crush to the team. <laughs> but I just uh, appreciate, like, um, this just caps off like a, it's sort of like a, capping off both like an important, um, time in wrestling of my childhood like i think after 1990 even though i pay attention for a while i was kind of less of a wrestling fan and i also think that um as i kind of mentioned before this is sort of like the end of the glory period of the tag division just a really it's it's a fun well structured um well done match that just gets the crowd really invested and just sort of um you know is, is is good magic
0: my number two has to be when Brock Lesnar defeated The Rock for the undisputed WWE Championship from SummerSlam 2002. I feel like if feel like if it wasn't for that match, Brock Lesnar probably wouldn't have had the credibility that he had as a new newly won WWE champion and newly pushed main event star. I know he yeah he won the King of the Ring a couple months before and had a feud with RVD and the Hardy Boys. Since he debuted after WrestleMania 18, but I feel like yeah, with the title win against The Rock to send The Rock packing to Hollywood, I feel like yeah, I feel like yeah, just the summer of 2002 has to be the summer of Brock, and that's my number two match.
1: Okay, my number two match is one that we had talked about earlier. Um just had really a lot of fun watching it, and it's from 89 as well, and it's that six-man with Rick Martel and the Rougeos against uh, Tito Santana and the Rockers.
2: Uh, my number two is uh, John Cena versus Daniel Bryan uh, from 2013. Another another one from SummerSlam 2013. Uh, just a really... Um, Great technical heavyweight style match. Uh, Cena just puts over Bryan so well, and as kind of the future guy, you know, it, it feels like a passing of the torch moment. Although that's obviously undermined intentionally right away with the Orton cashin. But just as far as just the match goes, it's just a really tremendous moment and great feeling, and you know, a, a very special um, match for both guys.
0: My number one SummerSlam match has a very special place in my heart. and I mentioned it at the beginning of the show, I mentioned it when we talked about it and for that year, my number one match has to be when Shawn Michaels defeated Triple H in 2002 in, the, in their non-sanctioned match because yeah, we people didn't think that Shawn Michaels was going to come back full time. And you know, after being retired for 4 years with a broken back, Shawn Michaels put on a darn near five-star match. You know, for it being his first match in many years. I know Triple H w- was, uh, I think, the perfect opponent for Shawn Michaels to come back. And that storyline of of Triple H wanting, wanting those two to reform DX and Triple H turning on him, I think it was just marvelous.
1: Okay. Uh, and my number one is that uh, 98 ladder match between Triple H and The Rock. Just thought it was tremendous uh, overall. Really like watching it. And I, too, watch it from uh, time to time. So, yeah, that's my number one.
2: My number one is uh, from SummerSlam 92, Bret Hart versus Davey Boy Smith. Uh, You know, we've already talked about kind of why it's great, but just a tremendous, you know, particularly uh, from Bret, you know, knowing that Davey was not in the best shape uh, at the time and having him to carry him through like a great match, but not like you watch it and you don't really necessarily you might see a couple of things where you get like okay I'm, I see where Brett's leading it there but it doesn't necessarily feel like a match where one guy's doing all the work and the other one's just kind of being there like I, I, that's a credit to sort of um, obscure that while um, you know having such a tremendous match and just obviously the atmosphere in Wembley Stadium helps and it's just a uh, it, 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 just everything about it is just really uh, fantastically done
0: Okay, so yeah, that's a uh, brief, I guess, <laughs> brief in, in like two and a half hours of uh, SummerSlam and our jobbers, or main eventers, in our top five list. Uh, Jason, where can uh, fans of Main Event Status Radio find you?
2: Well, uh, you can find WrestleSpective at VoicesOfWrestling.com. That's the home of the WrestleSpective podcast now. Also, uh, you can find it on iTunes and Stitcher um and if you want to interact with me the best way to do so is on twitter and i am at WrestleSpective.
0: sounds good uh beverly do you have anything to plug this week
2: just as always my twitter at
1: uh beverly hills m-e-s is where you can find me and talk to me i guess about anything
0: <laughs> i guess yeah same thing with me on twitter at dirty dog m-e-s that's dog as in d-a-w-g and uh Jason, I want to thank you for coming on, for talking SummerSlam with us for almost two and a, almost pushing three hours.
2: <laughs> well, I had fun. Uh, thanks for uh, having me, and uh, I, I appreciate it.
0: And uh, everybody, thank you for listening. I'll uh, catch you guys at the matches.